This is Unfiltered, episode 184 for April 13th, 2016. If you say saying, those are the rules, I, I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to lunge at you. I agree with everything you said, except I wouldn't say it's rigged. It's not rigged. It's disenfranchisement. It's not one person, one vote. What do but you call rigged. it when voters going to the voting booth does, doesn't matter at as all. much a as mess, insiders? A messed up system. That is a rigged. It's not rigged. It is a system rigged against voters. It's a system rigged against people that go to voting booths. It's a system rigged against people that go out to caucuses. It is a system that is rigged in favor of the rich and the powerful and the politically connected. Welcome to the show that is not included in any papers, let alone the Panama Papers. This is Unfilter, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about the news that you shouldn't be watching. I'm Chase. That guy over there running the board is Chris. He's new. He's an intern. Hey, Chris. Hey there, Mr. Chase. Thank you for having me on. I can't believe after... No, no, you're an intern. You shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I'm in a great mood. You know why I'm in a great mood? Why is that? Why is that? Because in two days, well, it's a, it's a great and a somber mood. I know what you mean, though. It's yeah. like, it's it's always exciting for something new, a new transition. Right. For those who don't know, for the past yeah. year, yeah. I've been working in the belly of the beast. Belly I, of the I, beast. Working, Hello, everybody. I've been working for the uh, ABC affiliate in Seattle, K-O-M-O. We call it Como around here. Not Homo. No, that's the sister station. <laughs> but... <laughs> I'm on a roll today. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. I'm uh, because of some differences, and and I feel how management should be run. Not at Como. Como's I actually, management. I actually seriously respect you doing this, just because uh, I have been in the position where I had Chase. I had a job I loved so much, and then they there was a there was an acquisition, and the new parent company yeah. became the new management infrastructure yep. for IT, yeah. and they just completely ran things differently. Yeah, they transitioned from a results based uh, performance to a tickets based performance, oh. and it was just it was miserable to work for them. That assumes that you had a good functioning ticket system that was not built from the ground up from the internal department that you which were working right nightmare. You no. had one of those. Th- that's like, yeah, th- that's this like is the your nightmare. Yeah, that's what I work for. Now the people of Como are the best in the world. They're the they are they work hard. It's so great to work with people that have a true passion for what they do. Yeah, and sadly. Uh, there is no spot for me at the station level. So I'll be stepping away. I, I wrote a really nice goodbye note to the team today. My last day officially is on Friday, but I did it before they cut off my email. Um, and and uh, uh, the station manager wrote me back. Uh, I won't go through all the details, but she said, you know, you'll be back. You will. Uh, maybe. And, and maybe. Um, it's one of those things where so, I hope to. But I'm moving on to a private company. That's still exciting. In, still in downtown so, Seattle. Okay, still going to be in Seattle. Uh, however, and this is, you know, talk about doing it live. My schedule might be different to when I get here. Oh, true, true. So just yeah. as okay. a FYI yeah. to the audience, there may be adjustments. Yeah, there'll be adjustments. Yeah. But in uh, meantime, so how do you? So how do? You, so that's why that's the only way we can explain why the chat room looks askew today. What do you mean? It looks fine to me. <laughs> okay. Fine. Yeah, that's fine. So Chase, Come on, rule number one, Chris, you never point out the errors. Okay. All right. So okay. So Chase, now yes, are you Chris. ready to transverse into our show to de- to do a deep dive into the world? Of things that maybe made a dent in the universe. I, I'm ready to dive in. Oh, all right. Well, we're going to first Let's start in it. cyber. Then, of course, we'll go to terrorism. We well, got some like interesting cyber. Panama Papers update. The Panama Papers. So are these like 
like uh, papers that you use to wrap your favorite tobacco or mm-hmm. Mary Jane mm-hmm. products? Yeah, those like, kind of papers? only cash, and you light it, and you just ah, burn it. You just burn it. Yeah, yeah. It. And then do you course, hide it as well? Do you hide it? You can. You okay. absolutely can. And sometimes you just hide it right here in the U.S. of A. Uh, the 2016 election, uh, for a long time, Bernie Sanders looking like good guy Sanders, and Hillary Clinton was looking like issue-focused Hillary. Now that's all a change. We're going to get to that in the 2016 update. We'll, we'll end on the whole it's rigged meme and then, of course, bring it to a complete conclusion. A conclusion? Is conclusion. That a, what is that? It's like an implosion conclusion. Yeah, with a high note. Oh, yeah, and, and don't forget, we're going to reveal our plans. That is true. This, we're going to do it live. We're going to reveal it live. <laughs> I, have a, I have a secret document which we will leak live in the show. Now, okay. It was in the Panama Papers, right? <laughs> I, I was thinking we should call it the unfiltered paper because it's just one paper. <laughs> Actually, I was thinking the unfiltered cables. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. But it's just one paper. It's All right, the unfiltered cable. Okay, the unfiltered cable, which will be leaked live on the air. Now, here's, here's – I have – We're only going to flash it once. I have two ideas. One, we right. could leak it via the subreddit. We could. Or we could leak it via the chat room, and the only way to see it would be to actually look at the link in the chat room. No, no, no. I, honestly, I think we should leak it to the patrons. Well, I know, but, well, hmm. You think only the patrons? Well, they're the ones who unlock this, hmm. right? Okay. I mean, they're the ones who support us, who thick and thin. I mean, I know a lot of you in the chat room probably do support us over at patreon.com slash unfilter. I know you guys do. However, this is something that the patrons really unlocked by supporting us. Yeah, okay, but don't you think everybody wants to know what we've no, got no, by I going th- to the new milestone? I, I think the patrons should know first. I think they should definitely know first. The chat room should know as well. Okay. But I think the patrons should know first. Okay. All right. How about a compromise? How about right. how about this episode, we unlock it for the patrons, and next episode, we unlock it for everyone? I like that. And there might be a gap because of Linux Fest between this episode. I like the okay. compromise. All right. Like there that. we go. All right. So we will release it to the patrons uh, in this episode. I will just make the post live if I'm logged in. I can't remember. <laughs> in the meantime, speaking of logging in and cyber. is not your strong point. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. You know, well, you know, we talk a lot about cyber right here in the good old US of A, but what about cyber all around? the world the cyber situation <laughs> I like this new information cyber. on a massive data breach overseas one of the largest public leaks ever affecting more than half the population of turkey hackers posting the personal information of nearly 50 million turkish citizens including the nation's current and former presidents putting them all at risk of identity theft and fraud john huddy is following that story live from our mid-east bureau in jerusalem hi john Hi, Patty Ann. And this also, the uh, the hackers take or hacker takes a swipe at Donald Trump as well. One of the largest uh, security breaches, public information breaches, as you mentioned. And uh, certainly this looks like it is politically motivated. And the reason being, if you look at the opening statement, if you will, that the hacker or hackers posted and wrote on this page, it says, quote, who would have imagined that backwards ideologies, cronyism and rising religious extremism Extremism in Turkey would lead to a crumbling and vulnerable technical infrastructure. (laughs) 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 I thought that was kind of good. Have you ever been tempted to uh, just, uh, you know, help support the dark web and run like a Tor exit node, like on an old machine or something like that? I I have been tempted. Have you? I I have been kind of tempted, especially back when I lived with Ange and I had uh, Fios and just, you know, excessive bandwidth. I thought, but wait, you have great bandwidth here, though, don't you? It's Comcast. It's Comcast. No, no, it's, 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 it's Comcast. It's a Comcast. Anyways, uh, this clip kind of makes me think twice. 
When the FBI tried to force Apple to unlock that iPhone last month, it was a battle of titans. High-powered lawyers, PR strategies, the whole works. But what happens when law enforcement is frustrated by encryption that's run by private citizens? NPR's Martin Costi has the story of one such person and the day last week when the police showed up at his door. It was last oh. Wednesday, a little after 6 in the morning, when David Robinson found he had Seattle police coming into his bedroom. I was undressed, and so I uh, started to reach to close the door when the <laughs> cop steps through the door and says, no, I have to stand here while you're getting dressed. His wife had let them in because they had a warrant. They said a child pornography image had been traced to Robinson's home internet address. He says right away he knew what had happened. They were there because I run a Tor exit relay, and that means that traffic passes through my computers, and I don't know what it is. Tor, it stands for... They get a warrant? They come a-knocking? Because they're watching his connection? they, They got a warrant because the ISP, don't forget the ISP, gave up the information. Don't forget that. They don't, they probably don't mention that in the clip, do they? Yeah, because how do they know, right? Right. Hmm. Good point. All right. Well, I hadn't thought about that, but you're probably right, Mr. Chase. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I just swallowed a nut. <laughs> That's what she said. Uh, Hello. Thanks. When the FBI tried. So I'll continue on. Uh, so, yeah. So he gets he gets slapped with uh, potentially child porn here. Wow. Uh, so they come a knock. Well, I was undressed. And so I uh, started to reach to close the door when the cop steps through the door and says, no, I have to stand here while you're getting dressed. His wife had let them in because they had a warrant. They said a child pornography image had been traced to Robinson's home internet address. He says right away he knew what had happened. They were there because I run a Tor exit relay, and that means that traffic passes through my computers, and I don't know what it is. Tor. It stands for the Onion Router, and it's a system for surfing the internet anonymously. People use it to get around government censorship or hide from surveillance. But uh, I believe the Panama Papers use Tor. But criminals use it, too. You may have heard about the narcotics black market called Silk Road, which was busted by the feds back in 2013. Tor depends on Internet connections provided by thousands of volunteers, people like Robinson, who's also a privacy activist here in Seattle. What was upsetting about it was that they should have known. Robinson says he asked the police if they understood how a Tor relay worked. And one of the cops was a well-informed techie. And he said, yes, we understand what it is. We understand. I said, well, then you understand that I don't have any control or knowledge of things that pass over my network. And there's no reason for you to be coming in here and accusing me of having child pornography. Other privacy activists went online to complain about the search, saying it was like raiding the post office because it had delivered a package containing contraband. The spokesman for Seattle Police, Sean Whitcomb, says his department gets that. But he takes the analogy a little further. When that post office is also someone's personal residence, well then, in that case, yes, we do have an obligation to search for evidence of a crime. You know, I've gotten so bitter whenever I hear child porn used as the reason I think it's a setup. Well, it's used a lot. Yeah, it really is. Don't forget the kids. <laughs> don't forget, Chase. Don't forget the kids. All right. So I just thought that just sort of was chilly. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even realize that was in our backyard, too. Yeah. That's why the other reason I played that. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I got a security tip for you. Actually, it didn't come from me. It came from your buddy. My good friend? James Comey. Oh, the FBI's James. director has made a controversial confession that he's using some unhackable technology to shield himself from prying guys. He's doing it by putting... What do you suppose, Chase? 
what is the unhackable technology to protect him from you know cuz as a director you got to figure he is a target of uh, a lot of political surveillance unhackable technology mm-hmm, mm-hmm. unhackable that's i believe that's what the reporter from RT just said technology to shield him hold on let me back it up a little bit here fashion that he's using some unhackable technology to shield himself from prying guys all right chase what is it? Does the lower third have anything to do with it? He's <laughs> <laughs> doing it by putting a piece of tape over his webcam. Ah, a piece of tape, Chase. This is our director of the FBI who needs access to your iPhone, ladies and gentlemen. James Comey. He certainly... So I copied it. I put a piece of tape. I have a, a obviously a laptop, personal laptop. I put a piece of tape over the camera. <laughs> I saw somebody smarter than I had a piece of tape over their camera. <laughs> really? You know, not actually a horrible idea, but I just think that I love that he said somebody smarter than me. That was really the uh, the part that I love. Now, have you heard about this ridiculous anti-encryption law that uh, Feinstein... You're, you're, oh, my gosh. Boy, this is ridiculous. Senators Richard Burr and Dianne Feinstein draft a bill outlining the Compliance with Court Orders Act of 2016, which would prohibit encryption technology that is unbreakable by authorities. Now, Margaret... This dialogue began with Senator Feinstein after the Paris terrorist attacks back in November. She released a statement saying that, you know, the Silicon Valley really needed to take a look at some of their products. She said that... Now, this legislation is, you know, the Comply with Court Orders Act kind of is the wording. You know, if you create a product that allows evil monsters to communicate in this way, to behead children, to strike innocents, whether it's at a game or in a stadium, in a small restaurant in Paris... You know, to take down an airline, this is a big problem. Uh, right. So basically, she doesn't watch our show because if she did, she would know. We did a report over this that uh, these terrorists that attacked multiple sites in Paris, they were using burner phones, boxes and boxes of throwaway phones. They weren't communicating. They, they hey, that's my line. know how to fly below the radar. They're not doing the things that, um, that this senator is asserting that they were doing. And frankly, um, this really, this is one of my, my sore spots because privacy is it's such a basic right. And what she's saying is that to protect your own personal private information from spying eyes that don't have a warrant or probable cause, well, that's illegal. Really? Has she read the Bill of Rights? (laughs) Okay. So uh, this thing is not going to go anywhere. I actually am not so worried about it, Chase, because everybody's reacting to it so strongly right now. Well, this is how it works, right? They're going to – same thing with CISPA, right? We're, you know, we're going to react strongly. They're going to reform it, react strongly, reform it, reform it, reform it, reform it until it gets slammed down our throat in the middle of the night when we don't realize it. Maybe. Interesting. That's my worry. Hmm. You know? Because hmm. Hmm. it's happened before. There's precedent. Well, maybe. We'll continue to follow it to see yes. what happens. Uh, so let's do a little terrorism update uh, specifically. Let's go back to those Paris terror. attacks and those Brussels attacks recently. Of terrorism, new details confirming a direct link between the terror attacks in both Brussels and Paris. Belgian officials learning that the deadliest assault in their country's history was actually planned for Paris. Meantime, though, a suspect in the Paris attacks confesses that he is the same man wanted in the hat. Remember this guy in the Brussels bombing? Well, Benjamin Do you remember that guy with the hat right there? Do you remember yeah, saying that? Yeah. Paul is live in London. London Forest. Benjamin, this is big news. What do we know about the suspect? Yeah, hi, Abby. Well, look, Mohamed Abrini, as you said, is the one man directly connected to both the Paris attacks and the Brussels attacks. He was the man who drove the suicide attackers to the Stade de France back in November, and now he has just confirmed, he has confessed that he was also the man in the hat at the Brussels airport. 
He was arrested on Friday in the Anderlecht district of Brussels, five long months after the Paris attacks and three weeks after Brussels. He was caught after police requested the public's help in tracking him down. They released surveillance footage of his long walk from the airport into the centre of Brussels after the attack. And following Abrini's arrest, they confronted him with that video, after which he admitted that he was indeed the one seen accompanying those suicide bombers at the Brussels airport. Abby. Benjamin, we're also hearing that Brussels was not the initial target. It was actually Paris. What more do we know about that? That's right. I mean, Abrini has told prosecutors that, in fact, Brussels was the second choice. And, in fact, they were aiming for Paris and specifically the financial district and a Catholic association there. But the attackers felt that the net was closing in around them, and so they rushed forward their plans. Abrini's statements confirm what many suspected, that the series of raids and arrests in the week leading up to the Brussels attacks pushed the killers into action. Hmm. And today, Brussels remained on the highest alert. Three people have been arrested and charged over the weekend, but there's little doubt that many any fear other attacks will take place, and the Belgian Justice oh. Minister saying dun, dun, this weekend that there will be other attacks. There may well be, whether it is Paris, whether it's Brussels, mm. or elsewhere. Be in scared, Europe. be so scared. Dangerous times ahead. Dangerous. dangerous. But big developments in Big developments, dangerous, big Huge scary. Very I'm, scary. I'm afraid now, Chris. Yes, yes. And then just a little bit more information, just a couple of days later, okay. a follow up. Breaking reports coming in today from Europe. Belgian officials say that three people have been detained following a house search in Brussels for questioning in connection with last November's Paris attacks. Belgian prosecutors also charging two more suspects this morning in connection with the attacks in Brussels at the airport. The pair is accused of renting an apartment used as a hideout for the subway bomber. This comes after the arrest of the so-called man in the hat that happened on Friday. Benjamin Hall, live in London. So what is the latest on this uh, case this morning, Benjamin? Well, just in the last half hour, we've been hearing that three were arrested in connection to the Paris attacks back in November and in Brussels as well. Uh, as well. The investigation really moving on, uh, trying to find people connected to it and any of those who may have helped them. Today, as you said, two were charged in Brussels in connection with the attack back in March 22nd. They were accused of renting so, an apartment used as a hideout. By we're getting some serious numbers here, some serious names. I want you to listen because we're going to follow back because I want you to understand that they're really kind of mopping up right now, right? And we're Obviously, oh, yeah. and this is a this is this is a huge advantage of having massive surveillance everywhere. You know, you can really you can narrow these terrorists down, go find them and collect them by having you know dragnet surveillance of all citizens. The subway bomber Khalid Bakrui and his suspected accomplice, according to reports, the two siblings, known only as Shmael F and Ibrahim F, rented an apartment on the Rue de Casernes in the Etterbeek district where the attacks were planned, and then they helped empty and clean it up after the attacks. Authorities say that this investigation is continuing actively, day and night. And according to Belgian media, though, the apartment rented by the two brothers was right next to a federal police building, leading to suggestions that they hid right under their noses. Can you believe that? Wow. Federal police building, leading to suggestions that they hid right under their noses. Huh. 32 died in the attacks, 20 in the subway, and two brothers have been charged with participating in the, acti in the activities of a terrorist group and terrorist murder. They're said by Belgian media to be old criminal contacts of the attackers in a trend that's been seen in other 
European terrorist network. So more arrests taking place, both in connection to Paris back in November as well as March. More people being uh, rounded up. So hopefully some progress being made. Uh, yeah, finally. Speak. Back to you. Thankfully, you know, we have, uh, of course, we have uh, the Five Eyes, and which, which is expanded now to 21 nation partners yeah. that can coordinate with the NSA, a few. GCHQ. And so by having this dragnet surveillance, they're able to go in and, fi- and find these guys yeah. and, and, and prevent future attacks. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Wait. Hold on. Chase. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I'm actually, oh, what? I, I'm getting um, I'm getting some – I'm getting some – Oh, this is really strange. Yeah, I'm getting some breaking news, some information here, Chase. I guess, oh, oh, a good old tipster, just traditional uh, tipster information led to all of these arrests. Oh, really? Well, it's been revealed that a Muslim woman in France risked her life to prevent further terror attacks in Paris by giving police the whereabouts of the ISIS mastermind behind the November attacks that killed 130 people. Now she's living under police protection. She's fearful for her life. She's spoken out, revealing how she met the attacker, Abdelhamid Abaoud, through his cousin, and she heard him boast of plenty more attacks to come. Well, the cousin, who's also female, she was asked to help him secure accommodation in order to carry out their next attack. It was at this point that the woman, who's now in police custody, proceeded to attempt to get her friend drunk in order to slow down the process to find some time to secretly inform the police of the conversation and therefore the whereabouts of the attacker. So that is how they got to these men. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, today, President Obama is meeting with uh, the CIA to uh, figure out new opportunities for advancement in the fight against those guys over in the ISIS. Promotional? President Obama has reason to be optimistic about the campaign against ISIS. A map showing its territory would show it shrinking. The Islamic State has lost about a quarter of the ground it once controlled. Figuring out how to take back more ground will top the agenda today at CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia. Obama is convening his National Security Council there, as NPR's Mary Louise Kelly reports. Hey-o, the president will arrive at Langley with fresh good news in hand. So good news in hand, right? <clears throat> Listen okay. to the spin in this report. According to the State Department in Syria and Iraq, the number of fighters for ISIS, or ISIL as it's also known, is lower dash. than any time in the past two years. So the number oh. of fighters is lower than any time in the past two years. Do you suppose that could be because the Pentagon spun down their program recently and they're going to be refinancing it and rejiggering it? Hmm. It's fair to say that in Washington these days, there is a sense that maybe... Maybe the tide of the war is turning. There's a sense in maybe. Oh, a feeling. Maybe. And, and kind of. Now they're going to cite some examples of the sense of the tide turning. Okay. Listen to Defense Secretary Ash Carter sounding bullish about the prospect of, as he puts it, getting this over with. I'm confident we'll defeat Iceland. No question in my mind about it. But the sooner, the better. But France. How is that a statement at all? It sounds like he's super positive. Yeah. Like he just says eventually we'll do it. Iceland, no question in my mind about it. But the sooner, the better. But Fran Townsend, who sat through many National Security Council sessions as President Bush's Homeland Security Advisor, says, hang on. You know, presidents hold NSC meetings to discuss a topic because they're not satisfied with progress. That also doesn't sound positive. No, it doesn't. It sounds like he's meeting with the CIA because things aren't going well. So I suspect this discussion is an indication the president wants to see 
greater progress more quickly. You could point to the fact that ISIS still controls the key cities of Mosul and Raqqa. You could point to the fact that there's currently no force on the ground strong enough to defeat them militarily. And you could point out that clawing back turf from ISIS is one thing, holding it is another. Defense Secretary Carter. Our overall strategic approach is not just to defeat ISIL, but to keep them defeated. That means training local fighters in Iraq oh, and of Syria. Course, of and course. it means doing so on a tight timetable. Uh-huh. When he sits down at the table at Langley today, Mr. Obama will do so knowing he has just over nine months left as president. Interesting. Now, uh, a little bit of information perhaps about what the CIA might just be briefing him, a plan B. What do you, Chase, when I say plan B, what do you think? The backup plan, right? Yeah, yeah, the backup plan in now, case plan A fails. If I were to say you had a backup plan right. in a relationship, Say you were with somebody and then you had a backup girlfriend on the w- in the wings in case things didn't go well. You might say you're not fully invested in your primary relationship. No, no. If, you, if you're if you already thinking about plan B or plan C, you're not really – I mean it's like you're already giving up or yeah. at least relating to the possibility so of giving up. When I am about – with the clip I'm about to play for you, keep in mind that we are sitting down for these historic peace talks in Syria. And yet apparently the CIA – has a rather awful plan B. The CIA has reportedly prepared a plan B for Syria in case the ceasefire collapses. It emerged as delegates prepared to resume the UN-backed peace talks in Geneva. Well, let's bring in our Washington correspondent, Gaine Chichikan, for more on this. Gaine, what is the plan B? Yunan, the CIA has drawn up a plan to provide so-called moderate rebel groups in Syria with anti-aircraft weapons if the current ceasefire collapses. That is according to the Wall Street Journal's interviews with unnamed U.S. officials. They told the journal that just before the cessation of hostilities took effect in February, there was a secret meeting of spy chiefs in the Middle East where the U.S. gave provisional assurances to its anti-Assad coalition partners that it would approve the delivery of more powerful weapons of anti-aircraft weapons to the rebels as plan B. What? Whoa. Yeah, go ahead and go to these peace talks. But, you know, if those peace talks don't work out, we'll double down on our arming of you. Well, then what incentive do they have? Of, yeah, of having the peace. Yeah. Right. And, by the way, (laughs) who are they going to be shooting down? They're going to be shooting down Russian planes. They'll be using U.S. military equipment to shut down, I'm sorry, to shoot down Russian planes. More powerful weapons of anti-aircraft weapons to the rebels as Plan B. Plan A being, of course, getting a political process on track. That is what's happening in Geneva this week. This Wall Street Journal article comes out just before the U.N. brokered talks resume. Hmm. Russia believes that such a plan B hurts the process because it sends a message to the rebels and their allies in the region that there may be a military solution, that they could get the weapons they want if they decided to fight on. Those really pushing for arming the rebels against Assad have been Saudi Arabia and Turkey. Over the years, they have funneled weapons into Syria. And because of the fluid lines between the so-called moderate rebels and extremists, many of the weapons ended up in the hands of terrorists like ISIL and al-Nusra. Recently, U.S. officials seemed to have come to a realization that giving powerful weapons to rebels was not a good idea. But now we learn from these unnamed officials in the Wall Street Journal article that the plan is still on the table. One senior official uh, was quoted as saying... So these are leaks. The agreement between the anti-Assad coalition members is to, quote, up the ante if needed. In the meantime, the U.S. stresses its main objective in the political process. 
Our plan is now to push as hard as possible for a transition in governance that can bring peace and eventually be able to enable refugees to return to their homes. That's the real solution to the problem of migration in Europe. Hmm. Yeah, but that plan well, B is just in case. Just, just in, in case. case. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, Mr. Chase, before we get into the Panama Papers today, yes, I'd like to just take a moment and thank the 458 patrons. Hey-o! At where do they go, Chase? Uh, that's patreon.com slash unfilter, Chris. Oh! Where people can support us for as little as $2 or more per month. But if they get to the $5 or more per month level, they get unlock everything. They get unfilter super sync, I'm going to call it now, because it really goes back nearly over oh, 100 plus episodes. <laughs> it really is something now, data. isn't it? It's a super sync yeah. of data. And uh, we have sort of been sitting here, Chase, planning yes. to reveal our, our big plans. We've been wiping our hands. Mm-hmm. I have been. I got a little yeah, chocolate yeah, on yeah, I was yeah, celebrating. My, my, my thumb's a little Ooh, Well, you know, that's it's okay. That it's getting sunny idea. outside. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, and so... Um, I'm pretty excited about this. And now I know producer Matt, who was uh, who was just messaging me a few moments ago. Yeah. You know, he's been on the show nearly a year now. Yeah, that is really something, isn't it? I know. Wow, that came quick. He and we've been to, doing this show for nearly four years? He wanted to call in. So producer Matt's calling in right now on the line. Hey there, producer Matt. Hey, Chris. Hi, uh, you're on the air. Hello there, sir. Welcome. Thank you for calling to the Unfilter Show. Boop, boop. Got filter in the morning. Uh, hold, hold on, we got to go to traffic now. Uh, Chris got traffic. Uh, <laughs> Chase, I'm uh, monitoring the I five northbound. Uh, looks like it took you a long time to get here. Over. All right, yeah, yeah. Uh, I five's backed up, but we're going to go back to Matt now. Hey, producer Matt. Uh, Hello, producer hey, Matt. Hey, uh, producer Matt. Welcome on to the Unfilter Show, and I know you wanted to give a shout out to the patrons. Yes, I absolutely did. Um, I wanted to thank them for making a crazy show like this possible, um, and I wanted to share something about how uh, personal being able to work on this show is for me. Um, so something that I don't think I've really ever talked about is that I have uh, uh, chronic pain issues coming from a really screwed up spinal cord. Um, and uh, one side effect of that is that uh, I be- it's basically like permanent carpal tunnel in my hands. Uh, so I can't use a keyboard and, uh, for a couple of years now. And so I've, I was stuck just mainly watching YouTube videos. Um, and I had started watching a lot of unfilter and then you guys sent out a request for having a, a producer to help gather clips. And then I realized, wait a minute, that's the perfect job for me because it's, you know, it's about watching a lot of videos, but I'm getting to actually contribute something like right. it's creative. The show is something that I think matters and makes a difference in the world. Um, you know, it's, it's a very rare and perfectly situated job, uh, for me to be able to do with the, uh, health problems that I have. And so I just wanted to extend a thank you to the patrons for funding the show and to you guys, Chris and Chase, for for running everything and uh, taking a stand. Well, thank you, Producer Matt, for yeah, your buddy. damn near a year of uh, producing, which has been very valuable. It made the show much more sustainable. Uh, so uh, with that, what do you say, Producer Matt? Are you ready for us to unleash the secret plans to the patrons? Should I do it? Should I hit the button? Uh, this is this big Absolutely. Hit. All right. I did it. Okay. I'm releasing it right now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Chris, whoa, whoa, Chris, whoa. Chris, what is it, Chase? What Chris, is it? You weren't supposed to leak that. Oh, 
shoot, did I just leak? Did I just leak that unfiltered cable? Oh no, Chase. No, 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 no,
Iceland <laughs> stepping down yesterday. He is among a number of politicians and celebrities named in a massive document leak detailing how wealthy people hide their fortune in offshore tax havens. The president was talking about this. Greg Palcott picks up our coverage live up, in London now. Greg, what's the U.S. connection in all this? Now, uh, I, it is a documented fact that Bill here is a bit of a doofus. Uh, <laughs> but what I love about it is to see the Fox News professionals uh, generally have a hard time even rolling with Bill's punches. Like, they are they are the professionals of the news industry, and even they have a hard time rolling with the punches. Yeah. So you see his face right there. One of, he's got one of those great news anchor poses while he's waiting yeah. for the satellite delay to catch up to him. Yeah. Watch as just for a brief micro-expression moment, that face will change to complete aggravation. You would- now watch. Oh, watch it again. Uh, okay. Watch it again. The president was talking about this. Greg Palcott picks up our coverage live in London now. Greg, what's the U.S. connection in all this? U.S. connection we'll get to in a moment, but let's get to that breaking news. Shut up, Bill. You weren't supposed to say that. About the first political damage that's been uh, wrought by this huge leak of files coming from the shady Panama law firm regarding offshore companies and accounts. The Iceland prime minister stepping down after he was confronted by information, including during a TV interview, which he walked away from, that his wife is stashing away loot in the offshore firm. Small country has had huge economic problems that led to big protests demanding the guy's removal. And he is just one of 12 current and past world leaders. One of those world leaders they're not really mentioning, of course, is uh, David Cameron, who uh-huh. uh, has been having to do quite the delicate dance, Chase. Prime Minister of the UK. The British Prime Minister woke up to find himself headline news and facing mounting pressure to resign over links to offshore finances. Iceland's Prime Minister was the first head to roll after the Panama Papers leak. David Cameron must now be wondering if he can weather the media storm and win back the public's trust. Well, he must have known beforehand, mustn't he? I think he should have put his hand up and been honest from the offset when it all came out. Or beforehand, before it came out. I think very rich people will always find ways of hiding their money. It's no different from your man in the street doing cash and hand work, is it? Is that morally correct? I wouldn't like to be in his place. He should go. Since what he's done to the doctors, the police force and everybody else, David, you should go. It may now take a grand gesture to keep Cameron at number 10. Hmm. Now, uh, I think this is always interesting when Max Kaiser, uh, we have not played him really since we've covered Bitcoin in this show, but he really goes on a, uh, a quite a takedown of this entire thing. And of course, there is also now implications that the CIA is involved. Former tax evasion whistleblower believes the CIA must be behind the so-named Panama Papers revelations. Now, this is starting to actually, this particular uh-huh. rumor is starting to pick up some serious momentum. Which exposed the hidden wealth of leaders and the rich around the world. Bradley Birkenfeld made the claim exclusively to the financial news network CNBC. We see all these names surface that are the direct, quote-unquote, enemies of the United States. The CIA, I'm sure, is behind this. Bradley Birkenfeld is a former banker at UBS in Switzerland. The company was used by U.S. citizens who were evading taxes and Birkenfeld leaked that information to the U.S. government. He was awarded $104 million for doing so, but only after spending two years in prison for participating in the tax evasion scheme. 
Well, as for the Panama Papers, Birkenfeld has strong doubts that one man alone could be behind such a far-reaching leak. So he believes it must be the CIA. Kevin Owen earlier put that to RT's Max Kaiser. These agencies are acting like hedge funds. They're all trading on inside information. They're all trading in these shadow banking markets. They're all against all in this global hedge fund market where the cost of money is near zero. There's no consequences for any financial wrongdoing. The entire front bench of the British Parliament is in on the game. Mm. So too many. You know, if I was going to uh, fry some bacon chase. Yeah, you would you would get it from Sylvana Meats. I I understand. I definitely would. But so mm, that smells. Is that peppercorn? Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. You got to They get the best pepper. They roll that thing. Oh, gosh. I got to tell you, tell me what's up. Uh, if I was going to say what uh, all of the surveillance around the world was really for, it would actually be for mostly insider trading, yeah. tracking corrupt politicians. I think Crazy Kaiser just might be onto something here. Politicians in Washington, this is a global insider trading ring. Of course, the CIA is playing this game. Why don't we see more U.S. names in these Panama Papers cutting to the chase? Oh, well, I, that's a great question. What? You know, what? looking back over the past few years, all of the offshore money trading has now moved from Switzerland to America. America now is the biggest offshore illegal shell company uh, center of the world. Okay, now bouncing off of that point, because uh, look over here, not at Putin. Uh, we'll come back to that. But, you know, this firm, uh, this Mossack uh, law firm, a couple of interesting things about it. It's not one of the largest in the world. In fact, it's not necessarily even in the top five, potentially. Right. The other thing that's interesting is they don't actually deal with these individuals directly. So David Cameron's father doesn't call up Mossack and have all this set up. He goes to a bank in London, and that bank in London uses Mossack law firm as a proxy to set this up. Right. And in some cases... Uh, they don't ever, ha- they don't actually even know the name of the person. So when Mossack first got hacked, they're like, these aren't our clients. The banks are our clients. Now, this clip talks about where they kind of are in the overall market. And they weren't the only ones. I mean, let's, let's face it, Mossack Fonseca is one of the largest firms in the world doing this. But we know that there are about 800 um, similar firms around the world, and, and they're not even... 800. The biggest. Wow. I mean, I think they're the fourth, or they're certainly in the top five, but they're not the biggest. Okay, so they're about the fourth. So this is about the fourth largest firm that got hacked and got leaked. Uh, and uh, now this is the interesting part, once you look at some of this information. The massive data leak known as the Panama Papers has revealed the law firm Mossack Fonseca set up more than 1,000 shell companies inside the United States, once again raising questions about the U.S. role as an offshore tax haven. The papers show more than 600 shell companies were set up in Nevada alone. Nevada. Wow. Matthew Gardner of the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy said, quote, we should be thinking about this as a very American problem and a problem that arguably is worse here in the States than it is in Panama, he said. Yeah, in fact, Panama isn't even where the bank accounts are, right? So now we go back to uh, your good buddy, uh, your good friend, uh, good friend, Crazy Max Kaiser, uh, where he's trying to deflect from Russia. And now I keep, keep some of his statements in mind in context with where America is where a lot of these tax havens are. Quick quote. This could have been a Russian intelligence operation which orchestrated a high-profile leak and established total credibility by implicating, not really implicating, Russia. The Panama paper stories run off Putin like water off a duck's back, but they have a negative impact on Western stability. So, what's the balance of probability here, Max? Is it the CIA? Is it Russia? Russia is preparing for the collapse of this global Ponzi scheme that David Cameron's enabling by buying lots of gold. Russia's bought over a 1,000 tons of gold recently. 
and they're preparing for the day when all these fiat currencies that have been abused by all these intelligence agencies collapse as it does every, uh, you know, once a, once a century or so. And you have to reset all these global currencies against gold. It, it's going to happen again, as it always does. And Russia, but give you a great idea of this, during the last month or so or six months when the Russian ruble was down, their reserves in Russia actually went up in value because they've been buying so much gold and gold's been on a, a bull market rally. So Russia's completely positioned to weather this, this shenanigans that Cameron, GCHQ, CIA, NSA are all involved with trading on inside information, passing in the shadow banking system, which is $60 trillion in size, a few billion here and there for the operatives wow. who are making this all possible through Panama. It's a little bit of a payday, but there's a much bigger fraud going on. It's a global fraudocracy that everyone is forced to participate in because all the real jobs have been destroyed. <laughs> wow. You know, what's interesting is, uh, so apparently Kaiser's gone back to pitching gold over Bitcoin. Uh, but Bitcoin, you know what, honestly, has been, and I, I, this is not me advocating anyone speculate in cryptocurrency at all. Oh, yeah. And then what am I about legally, to say? what you have to say. No, I'm, anyway. I'm not even saying legally. I'm just saying don't do it. Just, yeah. just saying for me personally, because... Uh, I have developed a rhythm and a pattern for all of the shows on the JB Network right. to follow the news and sort of watch news trends. It turns out it's made me particularly good at being a Bitcoin speculator. And so, so far, I've sold when it's high, bought when it's low um, every time. And uh, I'm not I'm, – my point here is it is interesting. If you do follow some of these – some of the markets, you can be profitable. Like uh, we're going to – there's going to be a bunch of equipment. Uh, we're building two computers. Uh, there's going to be cameras, uh, camera gimbals and uh, other things for Linux Fest Northwest. Oh, really? All purchased with Bitcoin because it's at 425 when I bought – so I wait till Bitcoin's at a high peak and then I buy a bunch of stuff via Newegg because Newegg takes Bitcoin right, directly. Right, yep, yep. So anything you can buy Newegg directly that Newegg sells, you can buy with Bitcoin. Yep. And so when it comes time to, well, we need all this equipment for Linux Fast Northwest, I could never financially afford to do it with cash. But when it, but, but in Bitcoin, because... You're able to invest with Bitcoin. Yeah, and so... Well, what kind of percentages? Are we talking 10 20% increase or even more significant than that? Uh, it depends on when I bought and things right. like that. But yeah, yeah I, overall, it, it, there, is some, there is something there to it that, that you can speculate and buy a bit. But uh, I don't know. My, the, my point my point is, while Max is sitting there pimping gold this time and he's pimping Bitcoin in the past, uh, what I think the actual takeaway message that he kind of has is there is some sort of insider trading network going on and there's no way that this $60 trillion network would exist without, I would think, this mass surveillance. Wow. That's my, that's my personal yeah. bacon from Savannah Meats there. That's good, that's good bacon. Yeah, yeah. And we have another clip in the supporter sink uh, for those of you that have that. Uh, about the whistleblower from the CIA that uh, is claiming it's a CIA job, if you are curious. However, I feel like we should probably mention something that we speculated about a couple of weeks ago. Okay. We were getting to the Republican uh, – we were, we were talking oh, about yes. the contested convention. Yep. And uh, – I said that's the only reason why Kasich is staying in. No, that's not why he's staying in. He's staying in to steal delegates from well, Trump Well, that's right why I said now. no. So he couldn't get – to the majority, right? To get to a contestant, and, and I we said were, that. And we were yes, and we were. You're right. We were talking about uh, Paul Ryan and how Paul Ryan perhaps would be a perfect candidate. Well, turns Paul out Paul Ryan says that other candidate will not be him. The House Speaker is slamming the door on rumors that he was positioning himself to take away the nomination at a contested convention. We have too much work to do in the House to allow this speculation to swirl, or 
to have my motivations questioned. So let me be clear. I do not want. Whenever a politician starts with let me be clear, uh, because that's sort of a non sequitur, I feel like it's misleading initially. When, when you start with let me be clear, why do you preface it with that? You don't just say it. When, it, when, when have you ever told the truth to someone and said, oh, let yeah. me be clear? You've never. You never are telling the truth and say, let me be clear. Patients questioned. So let me be clear. I do not want, nor will I accept the nomination for our party. So let me speak directly to the delegates on this. If no candidate has a majority on the first ballot, I believe that you should only choose from a person who has actually participated in the primary. What do you think? of you, you believe him? Yes. And here's why. I was thinking about this when I heard about this today. And it's one of those things where Ryan knows that if anybody other than Trump gets the nomination, and they obviously the, the establishment does not want Trump being the nomination. That's why it's going to go to a contested convention. But if Trump doesn't get it, what's going to happen? Trump's going to have a field day, right? You know, he's going to go off the off the edge. He's it's, He may go third party. You never know what could happen. Ryan wants to be president someday, but he doesn't want to go through this because if he goes through this process, there's no way he's going to win. There is no way in hell that he would win because Trump would go third party or go crazy and it would destroy the Republican Party. So his take is I'll wait. Yeah. And I'll go to the next cycle. I'm going to make myself sound better because I'm going to reform Congress. I'm going to get us working. It's going to get him stronger and better. Count me out. But doesn't that mean he has to deliver on the next few years? Like, Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Nancy Cordes joins us now. She's Nancy seven. She covers Congress and the Democratic presidential race for us. Nancy, good morning. Good morning. Up, Nancy? Good, good to have you here. <laughs> Does this mean... Do we take him at his word? Uh, Paul Ryan will not, under any circumstances, accept a nomination. I think we do take him at his word, especially because he said that word over and over and over again. I won't take it. I don't want it. All right. Okay. All right. I like your logic there. I like your logic there. I think that's pretty good. Uh, of course, Obama was downplaying Hillary's email server Obama usage. says Hillary Clinton's email transgressions were careless, but not dangerous to national security. At the same time, he is vigorously denying any suggestion that politics will influence the Justice Department's probe into whether Clinton's behavior broke the law. The president made the comments to Chris Wallace on Fox News Sunday. Correspondent Kevin... Man, I, I have to tell you, uh, you, you know, one of the things that is almost worth your patronage alone is I watched Fox News for three days before they ran this President Obama interview. Are you okay? <sighs> Thank you for asking me. Thank you. Because Are you okay, I, buddy? No, man. They promoted this thing every 45 seconds. On the, <laughs> and they kept showing clips over wow. and over. It was – it's so tedious. And right now, I've been watching just now. Now, yeah. CNN's doing it to me now. Yeah. So it was last week it was Fox News with this interview with Obama. Yeah. And this week, it's Hillary versus Sanders in the debate. And it starts with – a clip of Hillary, you know, yeah. Shillery yelling about how, thank you, New York. And then a clip of Sanders saying, I was born in New York. And then uh, they, they add in like fan, they fan, fans cheering. Do they have explosions? Are they going to say yeah, live on pay-per-view? CNN debate. CNN debate in and Brooklyn. I, I have seen this commercial 45 million times. I've seen it too. And I'm just telling you, yeah. I'm just telling you, it is almost worth your patronage alone. So that way I watch this so you don't have to. Anyways... I go back to Brett here. Mr. Bear has has clips. Cork begins our coverage tonight from the White House. 
hands off. That's the position the White House maintains it has concerning the ongoing investigation into the private email server of former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, which is the target of probes from the FBI and a pair of federal inspectors general. The president does have confidence that uh, those prosecutors uh, and other investigators will exercise their independent judgment, that they'll set politics aside and they'll focus on the facts of the case. I guarantee that there is no political influence in any investigation conducted by the Justice Department or the FBI, not just in this case, but in any case. And she will be full stop, period. And period. she will be treated no differently. Guaranteed, full stop. The president's comments in that Fox News Sunday interview seemed to downplay Clinton's behavior, having a private, non-secure email server set up in her home, and then, despite warnings, using it to conduct State Department business. You know what Hillary should have done? What's that, Chris? She should have had somebody set her up, an XMPP server. And then she should have just gotten an XMPP chat client with off-the-record support, and she could have had encrypted XMPP chatting, and she could have had her aides forward her important emails over encrypted XMPP chat privately to her BlackBerry device and could have avoided all of this if they just had used better technology. And the reason I'm not saying Telegram or WhatsApp is because those things didn't exist when she started doing this, right? But there were technologies in place she could have used that were protected, that were encrypted, that were off the record. Wow. I continue to believe that she has not jeopardized America's national security. Now, what I've also said is that and she's acknowledged that there's, there's a, a carelessness in terms of managing emails that she has owned and she recognizes. A statement that's led to even more questions among journalists. Like, is the president signaling that he knows something the public doesn't? How could he possibly know whether the secretary did or did not, in fact, jeopardize national security? The president has neither sought nor received a confidential briefing or confidential information about the ongoing investigation. And we'll leave it at that. But I just thought that was sort of interesting. Uh, it's, it's interesting in, in regard to the 2016 election overall. But there has been a, uh, I think, a real phrase or a meme, if you will, beaten over and over again in regards to the election, particularly in about the last three or four days. And that is, and tell me if you agree, the phrase, it's rigged. Oh, Have you been hearing this a lot? It's, so much. Right. Yeah, it's So rigged. much. Yeah. And so uh, I think it really got started by uh, your buddy. My good friend. Uh, Joe Scarborough. Oh, hey, Joe. Good morning, Joe. Did you, have you seen this clip? I, I, I think I yeah, sent this, it to you. Yeah. This has been going, oh yeah, maybe you have. This has been going around quite a bit, but I want to play it here on the show. Bernie Sanders' winning there, streak continued over the weekend with a victory in the Wyoming caucuses on Saturday. Sanders beat Hillary Clinton by 12 points, 56 to 44, notching his eighth win in the last nine okay. nominating contests. Okay. okay, what do we do here? <laughs> I mean, it so, sounds so like Nicole, he's winning. <laughs> you, he's won eight out of nine. Yeah, he did great here in when they did the uh, the West. Uh, oh, the West Swing. Yeah. But here, he's and, look, and look, he wins by 12 points. I tell you, I would not do well as a Democratic politician. <laughs> he wins by 12 points. He may not even pick up a single delegate. Yeah. It's seven to six now with a remaining delegate to be decided later. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. That's a crushing victory. I know. And listen, I think that with the super delegates that they have, I think she only has to win 30% of the, she only has to get 30% of the vote in the uh, remaining contest. I mean, talk about voters feeling like a system well, might be and, rigged. And, and, Why are and you if, even if, voting? If, if you're driving a right. car right now, we've been talking about rigged systems. We're putting up right now a graphic. Bernie Sanders. 
So I think this is really where the meme kind of got started, because Joe really starts to rail this point yeah. here, a rigged system. And he makes a great point. Sanders gets ahead by 12 points, yet Hill Dog walks away with more delegates. Right. This wins 56 to 44 percent in Wyoming. The delegates rewarded Hillary Clinton 11, Bernie Sanders 7. Why does the Democratic Party even have voting booths? No, why? This system is so rigged. It feels that way. And I think, if, you know, they fall into line better than our voters do. But I can see some of the same emotions boiling over at their convention. But we always talk about voter turnout and how important it is to do your duty as a citizen. There's absolutely no reason any of those people voted in any of There's those not. states. I mean, wow. I, what's the justification? Please, someone tell me. These, wow. These, these are the rules. No, that's yeah, not a good understand. answer. These are the rules. And this has been oh, the meme. Also, so slimy Also answer, on the Republican though. side, yeah. uh, Rance Peebers, these are the rules. People have known about this. These are the rules. Tell me why why those people needed to go vote. Because they, they don't, their votes don't I will matter. say this, though. The media is also at fault in this when they lump in the superdelegates, especially on the Democrat side. They lump in the superdelegate totals. Uh, to the overall delegate count. Actually, most of the time it seems like they don't include the no, super I, delegates. No, I'm saying like, they, but you hear it though. Oh, uh, you know, he's down by 600 or 700 delegates. They're including the super delegates in that count. If you take that out, Bernie's uh, only back by like 220. Two, yeah, 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 yeah. But the thing is, when you include the super delegate count, which by the way, they haven't even voted. These are just uh, they have uh, claimed their support for Hillary. They haven't voted. They don't vote until the uh, the convention. Why they they should be even be able to share who they're voting for in the first place is like they're they're obviously trying to influence voter turnout. They're trying to enhance people to go. Oh, you should go for Hillary because we're all going for Hillary. You should go for Hillary. Another way that it could be rigged. Right. It's not rigged. The Does there, do their votes rigged. matter, Mark yeah, Albert? They do. do the votes How matter? do they count in some Depends way? On where you turn out. How? I don't oh, think it's only a good in system. some parts his, of the country. His, his smirkness and demeanor is like. Uh, System, but it's not he like won by twelve percentage points and lost the delegate. I don't think counts. it's a good system. All I'm saying is it's not. Do you like think it's your votes? Do you don't think that the Democrats matter. and Republicans change their delegate allotment processes after only, this cycle? Only if the winner of the White House decides. He now that's an interesting question. That only the winner decides that. I want to play it back in case you guys are starting to zone out because that's a really great question. Do you think it's your votes? Do don't you think that the Democrats matter. and Republicans change their delegate allotment? Processes after only, the cycle. Only if the winner of the White House decides oh, well, who would want to change it, then. To change it which won. is unlikely. These are the rules. I don't just, all really. I'm, all I'm saying is, it's not, not like the Cruz people or the Clinton people have gone in. This is the managing editor of Bloomberg Politics. Uh, in my estimation, having watched the media for a couple of years now, Bloomberg does seem to be very left leaning, uh, even though they're very business focused. All I'm saying is That's it's not, not like the Cruz people or the Clinton people have gone in and fixed it or rigged it. Okay, but let's, just, I'm talking about the Democrats for now. Fair. Let's talk about the Democrats for we, now. We didn't say that. Here right. is a party feels bad. who sends their activists out and have people chattering on TV and chattering on talk radio about voter disenfranchisement if you make somebody show a picture of themselves. Yeah, it really is uh, the very definition of voter enfranchisement. You know, they go out and they talk about how the Republicans are rigging things to disenfranchise certain uh, demographics of the voting population. And yet here, 
What the Democrats are doing is, oh, any of you little idiots, you small people, you can go and waste your time to vote. We're just not going to listen to you. And that is such a, a whole other level of voter disenfranchisement. And it, it makes what the right does look, look secondarily uh, not so bad compared to what the Democrats are actually doing. About voter disenfranchisement, if you make somebody show a picture field. of themselves, this same party tells voters to go straight to hell when they 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 select somebody by 12 percentage points and end up letting the other candidate who lost by 12 percentage points win the most delegates that by definition is voter disenfranchisement so all i mean it is a rigged system on the democratic side even worse than the republican side and I don't know why Democratic voters put up with it. If you say saying, those are the rules, I, I'm, I'm going to love them. Everything you said, except I wouldn't say it's rigged. It's not rigged. It's disenfranchisement. It's not one person, one vote. What do but you call rigged. it when voters going to the voting booth does, doesn't matter at as all. much a as mess, insiders? A Millions. messed up system. That is a rigged. It's not rigged. It is a system rigged against voters. It's a system rigged against people that go to voting booths. It's a system rigged against people that go out to caucuses. It is a system that is rigged in favor of the rich and the powerful and the politically connected. Bernie Sanders wins by 12 percentage points. Show, show, show. So he show wins 56 to 44. Now let's look at the delegate count. He didn't get any super Put him up. Okay. And one, after right? winning by 12 percentage points. He's losing. He loses Wyoming. He's losing. Where it counts by Primary. four delegates, 11 to 7. Now, John Heilman, if that is a system that is not rigged what? against voters and rigged in favor of the rich and powerful, please tell me one that is. Now, so why are they talking about this on MSNBC? Which is interesting because uh, MSNBC is definitely the left-leaning network. Yeah, in fact, often we've accused them of having direct connections to the Obama administration. I right. think that I think that reporter no longer works there. But yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, he, he, the thing is, they're picking on Wyoming because it just happened, right? But Wyoming has I, I don't know how many super delegates they have in you know with pledge delegates, but they have a lot of super delegates there. But if you look at a bigger state, say like New York, they don't have as nearly as superdelegates in comparison to the ratio of pledge delegates. So th- those are the hmm. situations, though, that make a lot of sense, though. But And as far as you know, accusing it of just the rules. But, yeah, I think, honestly, the superdelegate system, they can keep it fine. They can keep it, but keep the votes private. Until the convention, until uh, they absolutely that would need just them. get as much scrutiny. Right? I, I wonder. I wonder if the overall population, if the overall population is voting for Bernie, would they switch? We will have to wait and see. Well, and and don't forget, they're going to talk about the rigging of New York as well. Uh, yeah. the registration issue. So speaking of that, yeah. uh, uh, you know, there was an interesting. I, I had a uh, I had a clip about the Trump. Uh, well, here, I'll play a little bit of Trump. Trump Trump has been sort of complained on the other side of things. You have been very critical, though, of what happened to Colorado. And I want to read out some of the things you have said. You said you said the nominating system in Colorado was, quote, rigged, disgusting and dirty. You called it a corrupt deal full of crooked shenanigans. Ted Cruz is saying you're just being a whiner. I mean, the bottom line is the rules are the rules. Didn't you just get outplayed on the ground? Are you noticing, uh, and I've used it once in the show already, too, are yeah. you noticing the word shenanigans is getting used a lot tonight? <laughs> I call shenanigans. 
No, I don't think so. Look, first of all, you know, I watched uh, Ted Cruz and I watched him very strongly say, well, he's been winning. But, you know, I've won 22 states and he's won 10. And we're really uh, way up on votes, you know, in terms of the voters, which to me is very important, but it's never talked. I'm millions of votes ahead of him. And as you know, I'm hundreds of uh, delegates ahead of him. But the Colorado thing was very, very unfair. And I thought Louisiana was very unfair. I won Louisiana. I won it easily. Uh, so won I, the popular votes. I he won got the more popular vote. And because did. of all this shenanigans that goes on. And this but is you the, call them shenanigans. Those are the rules. And did you know those You know rules? why the rooms? I know the w- rules very well. But I know that it's stacked against me by the establishment. I fully understand it. We had people out there and they weren't heard. And then, in fact, today, when it was announced, the numbers were announced, they put out something on Twitter saying, oh, we stopped Trump. Essentially, we stopped Trump. We stopped. That was put out by the party in Colorado. The point is, it was stacked against us. Yeah, I do actually think he's right in the sense that it is stacked against him. Well, it's stacked against him. It's stacked against Sanders because those are candidates. They're both candidates. They weren't not, invited to run to begin with. No, they with. weren't. And, so how and dare you they this bother up running? Last week on the yeah. show, right? Yeah. If you're yeah. if you're not picked to lead, oh, you're good luck. You know, uh, so Tuesday, I'm I'm kind of proud of myself. I, this didn't make it in the red book, but you know how you and I have had a lot of conversations that don't make it in the red book that have right. turned out to be yep. very accurate predictions. Yeah. Tuesday, after Linux unplugged, Wes Rikai and I were standing in the kitchen out here at JP One Studios, and uh, we were talking about just how crazy this 2016 election is. And uh, and I said, uh, yeah, you know, I I would expect the next day or two we're going to have something revealed about Trump that's going to knock him down a peg. I just feel like you know it's time. Yeah, right. uh, they, there's a, needs to be there is a sustained you mean campaign. They're going to pull a Trump card on him. Yeah, they're going. There's a sustained campaign, and then I I you know, as if as if I called it perfectly, Chase. Uh, just such a just such a piece of material was released that I think Ted Cruz is going to get a lot of mileage out of. America. Brand new documents from the Clinton White House now revealing new details about the ties to Donald Trump. So what does this mean for the GOP frontrunner? Here to react is our Fox News legal analyst, Peter Johnson, Jr. Good, Good morning, morning Ainsley. How are you doing? You know, this is no surprise because a lot of people have had their eyes on Donald Trump. For a long, long time. He's been a real part of the American consciousness, certainly in New York. Um, I remember him back in the 1980s, 1983, 1984. I worked with him at a New York State Economic Development Corporation where he was on a board about building a dome stadium in Queens, New York. We wanted a dome stadium, and he was very much involved with that. So he's been at the intersection of government and finance and business and real estate for a long time. Time And so now we're seeing from the National Archives some documents that expose his relationship with the Clintons and the White House. Yes. So they wrote back. Uh, go ahead. Let's read some of what we found. The Clinton press aides were writing things like he has an eye on the big job. Yes. Talking about Donald Trump. They were scared he was going to run against Al Gore. Another one that we found was we may need guidance on this. Basically, be prepared, Bill Clinton, <laughs> if you're asked questions about Donald Trump. And, and they say, uh, I I think it may say something about the way the media covers politics these days, but I have the utmost confidence in the American people to sort out the wheat from the chaff. And so that's what they were. <laughs> it's just I think Trump's going to I think Trump's going to have to have to come up with some sort of line to respond to that because, you know, Cruz is going to have a heyday with that. Right. You got to figure he will. Uh, we have a lot more in the uh, supporter sync uh, for 2016. Also, we have some more coming up in the overtime in just a little bit. But Chase, what do you feel about doing a little breaking news? 
Fox News alerts in regards to a high note. The DEA is looking at how to change the way they regulate marijuana. Right now, the agency regulates pot as harshly as it does heroin. Which is Schedule just incredible. A, Schedule 1. It's just, which, if you think about it, is... Where's my red book? I predicted something in this regard. This is... The fact that cannabis is classified as a Scheduled 1 drug is... is... is is mentally disabled. And we then covered now, this ad nauseum. Now now the idea that it would be anything I mean the fact that actually how about how about it just unschedule it completely, right? But no, no of course not. But the DEA has been getting pressure from major groups like the American Medical Association to loosen those regulations. A change would give researchers more leeway to study new medical uses for marijuana. It could literally improve the lives of millions of Americans if we could research this properly. And there is unbelievable research that I look at every single week about this. Uh, and and to, to just even tweak this a little bit would be game-changing. The agency says it will make its decision by July. Well, we were clearly... By July? Yeah. Wow. Pretty soon. Wow. Pretty soon. Now, uh, it would be, probably be, It'd be a perfect. It would be a perfect topic for the upcoming presidential debates, Chris. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Now, yeah. at best, though, Chase, it's going to become like a schedule, too. At, yeah. You know, at, at, well, that, you know, I made a Red Book prediction about this months and months and months ago that it would step down. It would happen. Whoa, whoa, did you hear that? I guess we're starting the show. There's a little, there's a little jankies there in the background. So uh, we should mention that if you would like to come out and see Mr. Chase or myself, what you could come to Linux Fest. You don't want to see me in person. I'll just be running some booth or something. Linux Fest Northwest, April 23rd and 24th, Bellingham, Washington. Mr. Chase and I will be up there saying hi to the fans. Hello. You know, it's funny. I was watching some old episodes today of How to Linux. Oh, really? I was. Oh, you know how much play they've had on YouTube still to this day? No. I mean, there are people commenting on them still to this day. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. yeah. A lot of, like, like the first he episode He strokes alone, the beard. 80,000 views on the first one. Really? Yeah. Really? Really. Huh. Huh. It's crazy. Huh. Makes you think. I know. <laughs> it made me start to think. I was like, wow. Patreon.com slash unfilter <laughs> if you'd like to support this show. It's a people's history, there's and a, you support us. There's another way of supporting the show. Oh, yeah? Over on our subreddit. Absolutely. You know, unfilter.reddit.com, where you can <laughs> submit stories, upvote, downvote. You know, it's that dig clone that everybody's talking about. <laughs> New popular one. <laughs> also, uh, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Linux Fest Northwest is like a storm, and your unfilter show is a sailboat sailing across the world of news. And when that storm comes in, we are... A treacherous ride ahead of us. Oh, yes. And I have to warn you. Yes. I have to warn you. Yes. We may miss a week or two. And if we do, it is at our absolute last resort that we miss those episodes. I promise you that. If there is a way to make it happen, we will do them. Absolutely. But you will find out by going to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Maybe we should do a live show. Oh, wait. We are doing a live show right now. Maybe we should do a live show in front of an audience. I don't know. Oh. Hmm. We should try to do something. You know. I wonder how many unfiltered Linux political, listeners are in the Linux Seattle political area. Issues. I wonder, yeah, I know. Do I a meetup or something. If yeah. we could do like a like a like an episode somewhere. If you're a patron and you're in the local Northwest area, yeah. let us know on yeah. our Patreon page. Yeah. Also, hit me up twitter.com/slash chris elias or at twitter n u n e s. Boom. Check them out Boom. at geekgamer.tv. Check all our episodes yes. at jupiterbroadcasting.com/slash t. No, just go to jupiterbroadcasting.com. You can go to slash show slash unfilter. But otherwise, check out all the good shows. And we'll see you next week at Linux Fest Northwest. Yeah!
Watch out. Clear out. Here it comes. Unfilter 184. It is indeed overtime time. Overtime time. That's how we go. That's how we roll. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Unfiltered Show's overtime segment. Oh yeah, yeah. There's more show. There's a lot more show. There's stuff we got to talk about. Extra stuff. Additional context. If you've got more time, we've got more information. <laughs> I just came up with that on the fly. What do you think, chat room? What do you think? Not bad. Hey, I want to thank our new supporters. Since we gathered last time, only a couple of you. Obi-Wan, or Obi-Tom, I should say. Obi-Tom Kenobi. He rejiggered his subscription. What are you doing? Anyways, he's still there. He's hanging out with us. He's cool. So thanks to Obi. Also, a big shout out to Joanna. And I'm going to say Lanner. Those are our new supporters. Not a big list. Not a big list. But still a solid list. So thank you. As I record this now, see, in my production timeline, we actually haven't recorded the show yet. Now, as you listen to this on the playback, this comes in after the show to give you additional information about stuff you heard in the show and extra stuff that just didn't fit the main flow. It's like, it's like you know, overtime. <laughs> it's funny how that works. So I haven't revealed the secret plans yet, but today, during the show, we will be revealing our secret plans now that we have reached a new milestone on our Patreon page. So thank you to our supporters. I will, I will, uh, uh, hold, hold on, guys, come on, I, the, uh, the, the, there's just, uh, I, uh. Talking about cyber, you guys love hearing the cyber stories. I mean, everybody in JB really kind of has a bit of a tech bent. A lot of podcast listeners do. So let's cover a cyber story that didn't make it into the main show. It's got a lot of fear wrapped up in it, and that's one of the reasons why it's like, oh, you know, we've we played these uh, these fear ones before, where it's like, okay, yeah, okay, you get it. They're trying to scare people about computers. They're trying to scare people about technology. This one, though... Um, it's got a different bent. It's less focused on consumers, and it's more focused on uh, websites, which is at least a different tack, a different take, a different route for the mainstream media to follow. Well, right now, some disturbing new information about cyber attacks. A new study by Symantec, a data security company, shows that 75% of websites are vulnerable to cyber crimes. And in just the last year, there's been a 36% increase in these attacks. The study goes on to say that half a billion personnel or personal records were stolen or lost in 2015. For more on this, let's bring in Morgan Wright. He's a cybersecurity analyst and a senior fellow for the Center for Digital Government. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Heather. So the bottom line in all of this and why people should be concerned when they hear these numbers, it's because these websites could open right. you up or expose your private information to cyber criminals just by visiting them. And these that's what, three-fourths of websites. 
Absolutely. There are over a billion websites right now, Heather. That means 750 million websites put you at risk, and that means at risk of stealing your personally identifiable information, potentially your banking information, or creating a way so that somebody, an attacker, can stair-step their way into your corporate network and deploy things like ransomware or intrusions, or as we've seen with, uh, you know, in the energy field, uh, the power grid, black energy. Mm -hmm. So it's it's very important that people understand what they're doing out there and some of the risks. And it's not just uh, computers or laptops. We're all on our cell phones all the time, looking up websites. Absolutely. And it can happen there too, right? Absolutely. You know, there's 3.4 billion people in the world out of 7.4 that are on the Internet and about 1.2 billion smart devices right now. So this problem on the mobile side, the smartphones, the tablets, is just going to get worse before it gets better. We saw the first uh, elements of that back like in 2014. And boy, like a hockey stick, the amount of attacks using mobile phones and smart devices has gone up significantly as well, too. Mm, so what can we do to protect ourselves? Just to quit using our cell phones, quit using our laptops? <laughs> Uh, can you imagine the people that have Facebook withdrawals if exactly. they could, you know, on Twitter? Yeah. <laughs> no, you, you know, just, it's just be smart. I'm actually down here in Dallas delivering a couple speeches uh, around exactly that. You know, folks, just be smart. Make sure that you protect your information, especially on your phone with a passcode or a password. Use a, a fingerprint. Don't share information. Don't click on links. You're going to get a lot of emails, even on your mobile phone, for things that you didn't ask for, a PDF of a report or a link that says, hey, join me and click here. People just have to become a little bit more cynical about what they see. Believe nothing of what you uh, hear and half of what you see, especially when it's on the internet, because you know, the, the problem is you click that link, you think you're getting one thing, but what's behind it is actually 75% of the time probably something bad. Mm -hmm. But those cyber criminals, they are very clever. So what can we do yes, to you know, overcome uh, the issue? Right. <laughs> so first thing, when, uh, whether you use a phone or a computer or whatever, if there's an update for it, then update your security, uh, whether it's a, just a functional update like it makes it run better or it's a security See, patch right put there, that on I, there. I will say what people are thinking right now every time you do an update on your phone it crashes it so people don't want to do updates that's why but we should do yeah. that you're saying well you know look uh, I, it probably happens every now and then, you know, and that's going to be, that's where people need to hold the manufacturers and, you know, Apple and Android stuff. But, you know, it's one of those things. If you don't update it, what it means is that you've just created a much bigger door for somebody now to start attacking you. So it doesn't happen all the time. It's very infrequent. But mm -hmm. look, the cost of not doing it is less than the, co or the cost of doing it is less than the cost of not doing it. And the cost of not doing it is your identity, your bank account, mm -hmm. your information. And once that's out there, like those half a billion records, you don't get that information back. Once it's out there, it's gone. Ooh, are you scared now? Are you properly scared? Did we get you warmed up? <laughs> uh, so, you know, one of the things we don't talk about a lot on this show for um, really for no particular reason other than it's like if we're going to talk about this topic, we better have really something to say because it's going to get people upset. And that's pretty much really my only like line. Like I check. Is this worth? Is this worth getting some? Chris, you're a uh, you're a lunatune. Uh, you're a lunatune. <laughs> a lunatune. I like that. Chris, you're a lunatune. What are you doing talking about this? So I'm gonna get that. I'm always gonna get that. So I thought, okay, well, if I got something to say about this, I better make it worth it. And that would be. That would be 9-11. The topic of 9-11. 9-11 conspiracies. Well, there's one thing that, you know, you can, you can say about the whole, all of the 9-11 truther movement is one thing that's gone from total nutjob conspiracy to actual confirmed fact that we just now talk about out in the open. 
as if everybody knows it. One thing that I've definitely noticed, and that's Saudi Arabia's involvement and the withheld papers, the classified papers. And the classified papers, it's almost it's just simply public knowledge now that it likely it likely implies that Saudi Arabia was involved. I find it to be fascinating how something like that goes from total, you're a conspiracy truth or nut job, you idiot, for thinking that. Just like when we thought that the NSA was monitoring our internet traffic before Snowden leaked. You're an idiot, conspiracy idiot. Put the, put the tinfoil on your head. Right? And then, 13 years later, oh yeah, no, everybody knows Saudi Arabia was involved. Uh, it's just simply impossible for them to have been organized in the United States like that without some sort of sponsorship. Tonight, pressure is building on the Obama administration to release information about the 9-11 attacks that has been kept from the public well over a decade. This is on the CBS Evening News with Scott frickin' Pelly. This is a huge, huge transition from you're a moron with, with tinfoil on your head for thinking this to now here's Scott going, oh yeah, everybody knows this. That has been kept from the public well over a decade. Steve Croft broke the story on 60 Minutes last night, and tonight our congressional correspondent Nancy Cordes has a follow-up. I don't know how the Saudi government will react to it, but I think it's just information. New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand has read the 28 pages that have been locked in a vault under the Capitol for 13 years. She says the 9-11 families she represents deserve to read them too before the president travels to the Middle East next week. If the president is going to meet with the Saudi Arabian leadership and the royal family, they think it would be appropriate that this document be released before the president uh, make that trip. What makes that appropriate? Why? Why is that appropriate? To embarrass them? Why is that appropriate? And the royal family, they think it would be appropriate that this document be released before the president uh, make that trip so that they can talk about whatever issues are in that document. Mm-hmm. Steve Croft interviewed former Senator Bob Graham, who co-chaired the joint congressional inquiry. And this is what's really given CBS the permission to go ahead and talk about this like it's a known fact. They got a senator on the record. He says the classified pages lay out a network of people he believes helped some of the hijackers find housing and enrollment in flight school. You believe that support came from Saudi Arabia? Substantially. And when we say the Saudis, you mean the government, rich people in the country, charities? All of the above. Graham and the report's other authors say the Bush administration insisted the 28 pages be classified for national security reasons that are Hmm. still unclear. Uh A review by the Obama White House has dragged on for years. Press Secretary Josh Earnest. Uh, I can tell you uh, that The president certainly does support uh, being as transparent as possible, but he also believes that that these national security officials have an important job to do. Gillibrand, Rand Paul, and other senators have introduced legislation that would require declassification within 60 days. Those secret pages could serve as key evidence in a lawsuit 9-11 victims' families have filed against Saudi Arabia. That's a key point. There are are 9-11 victims' families that that have filed lawsuits. Uh, and, and this information being released could help those lawsuits, those families, those families that want some sort of justice. Wire declassification within 60 days. Those secret pages could serve as key evidence in a lawsuit 9-11 victims' families have filed against Saudi Arabia. 
Lawmakers suspect that the pages were suppressed to avoid antagonizing a key ally in the Middle East. Not surprisingly, Scott, the Saudi embassy slammed the 60 Minutes piece, calling it a, quote, compilation of myths that do not prove they ever helped al-Qaeda attack America. Nancy Cordes on Capitol Hill. Nance, thank you. Okay. So I got a little bit more. I don't have the 60 Minutes. Uh, I didn't record 60 Minutes. I don't know if it was this Sunday or if it's next. Or is it even on Sundays? I don't I don't know. I'm not a big 60 Minutes fan because it's just been such crap for the last two years. I do actually collect it from... Actually, you know what? <laughs> I probably have it. <laughs> I probably actually do have it. Uh, let me just double check. I bet you I do actually have it here. Uh, 60, yep, I do. Hmm. So I could actually pull out more if we wanted to. I do actually have it in our uh, in our system. Well, that's nice. Boy, we've gotten super high tech. But this clip does give you a little bit more information and some more interviews with that particular senator and, again, who he is. I think this is a big deal. I think this is uh, important. So let's watch this clip. Together. Former Democratic Senator Bob Graham is among those urging the Obama administration to declassify 28 pages of a congressional report on the September 11th attacks. Graham, who co-authored the report in 2003, spoke about those top-secret pages in an interview with Steve Croft for 60 Minutes. So this is your office? Bob Graham won't discuss the classified information in the 28 pages. He will say only that they outline a network of people that he believes supported the hijackers while they were in the U.S. Well, that's kind of key. that support came from Saudi Arabia? Substantially. And when we say the Saudis, you mean the government? Rich people in the country, charities. All of the above. Graham and others believe the Saudi role has been soft-pedaled to protect a delicate relationship with a complicated kingdom. Chat room, remind me, but uh, isn't it a known fact that uh, Saudi family was flown out? A Saudi family has a connection to the Bushes was flown out immediately uh, following 9-11, even when uh, flights were supposed to be grounded. If anybody has a link in the, if anybody has a link to a reputable source... I would like to put that in the show notes. Where the rulers, royalty, riches, and religion are all deeply intertwined in its institutions. The committee will be in order. Porter Goss, who was Graham's Republican co-chairman on the House side of the joint inquiry and later director of the CIA, also felt strongly that an uncensored version of the 28 pages should be included in the final report. The two men made their case to the FBI and its then-director, Robert Mueller, in a face-to-face meeting. They pushed back very hard on the 28 pages, and they said, no, that cannot be uh, unclassified at this time. Did you happen to ask the FBI director why it was classified? We did, in a general way, and the answer was because we said so, and it needs to be classified. Steve's full report airs tomorrow night on 60 Minutes. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Mr. Pizza has one from CBS News. Well, that's sort of uh, perfect since we were just playing a clip from CBS News. Thank you. So correct. It was the... <laughs> it was the how did I forget that? It was the Bin Laden family. <laughs> isn't that amazing? As Isn't that amazing? <laughs> oh, that's something... Hi. All right, so I'll put a link to that in the show notes if uh, you guys are curious about that. Thank you, Charum. That was a that was a very fast turnaround. I really appreciate that because I knew I I knew I remembered reading that, but geez, it's been so long now. 
you know, watching, you know, I remember, I remember specifically watching newscasts that I've never seen in any clips since then. It was, I woke up as that second plane was running into the tower and I turned on my TV, which I never do in the mornings and saw that it was really, I, I remember it uh, very clearly, really something. Uh, so there's a big f- hubbub going on right now. There's a couple of different clips we have about it. Um, let's see. Which one? Do, I'll, I'll play this one. This is just because it's simply the larger file size. Uh, Russia is getting people real upset in the Navy. This was in the Baltic Sea late yesterday when a Russian Su-24 fighter jet and military helicopter flew too close to the USS Donald Cook operating in that area. U.S. officials. Now, you know this is going to get mentioned over and over again like the previous ones. Remember when they had to divert a drone and then they made a huge stink about it for like two months. Officials describing the U.S. Navy encounter with the Russians as unsafe, provocative, and potentially uh, very dangerous. Uh, could have caused an incident. Thankfully, it did not. But what did happen is on these two overflights, one of them was so close to the deck of the Donald Cook that the Navy had to halt flight operations on the deck oh. because of this Russian flyover. You know what's funny is because the these uh, knob gobblers over at CNN have this stupid countdown on their – look at that. They have this CNN Democratic presidential debate, 35 hours, 25 minutes, 11 seconds. You guys could actually watching the show piece together at what moments we splice these from the CNN stream. And it was pretty interesting because at the time there was a Polish helicopter on the deck of the U.S. Navy ship conducting routine training operations. Those training operations involved – A Polish officer? That is no coincidence. The Polish helicopter had to be halted. A lot of questions. Was Moscow trying to send a message, use the U.S. Navy to send a message to Poland? These encounters have happened before. Most of them are safe. But this time, the U.S. Navy, very unhappy, potentially pressing, we are told, for a formal complaint to Moscow. Oh, that's not good. A formal complaint, ladies and gentlemen. Snaps. Here's the actual raw footage of it, if you're watching the video version. Below the bridge wing. Below the bridge wing. Okay, that is ridiculous. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. That's, that's ridiculous. That ain't no 20 miles. Oh. Yeah. Over the bow, right turn, over the bow. Maybe the Russians just got done watching Top Gun. Right? I mean, this is a little... little come on. That's all. I don't know what to make of that. That's something, though, isn't it? Oh, Russia, you so cray. Well, you know, I'm looking at the clips here. I got a kind of a bummer thing to play. Okay, chat room, you you make the choice. All right, okay, hold on. Chat room. It sounds so weird, doesn't it? It doesn't sound right. What the? Anyways, chat room. It, it sounds, sounds different. Chat room, would you rather hear... Sort of the downer story first, or the raw propaganda story first. What to, to prepare yourself? You get to choose. Do you want to get? Ba- do you want to be lifted with propaganda, and then have your bubble popped with a downer story, like a re- like a hard reality, or would you rather go 
So propaganda and reality, or reality and propaganda. You choose. This is really... This is my new way to get... uh, This is how I get YouTube to prevent me from getting pulled down, is I just play it wrong. Because the the little Python script. Okay, so propaganda first. Propaganda, propaganda. Prop than reality. Okay, okay. You guys, you guys are narcissists. I mean, not, not narcissists, uh, masochists. <laughs> you guys are masochists. We will start with the propaganda first, and then we will pop our bubble with a little reality. Here we go. Uh, oh, by the way, okay, let's do it. Let's do a game. Okay, uh, everybody in the chat room, I'm going to play a clip. Everybody in the chat room, uh, you count. Oh, shoot. Hmm. Well, you'll just have to trust me. Because I clipped this a little too tight. On the actual stream, the way it works is Wolf comes in and uh, Wolf says, uh, we're learning now about uh, a developing story about uh, the young leader Kim Jong-un uh, or whatever. whatever. It, my point is they say that he's young uh, like three times just in the intro. Then they go to this piece where they continue to call him young. So what I would advise you to do, chat room, is let's play along. Every time they make an inference to how he's unqualified to be a leader, say, mark it in the chat room. So every time he does it, Count in the chat room. And, and so one, two, three, four, etc. So when they say young or um, rash or uh, unstable, you know, any kind of implication that he could not be a leader. Now, remind you, he's in his mid 30s. I don't I don't I don't I'm not saying he's not young. But at what point do we stop calling him a young leader and just call him the leader? The leader of North Korea. He's he's in his mid 30s. At what point do we just say the leader? Like if, if we if we somehow elected, I mean, here we're, we're considering electing a 74 year old. But if we had somehow elected a 30 year old to be the president, would the media call him the young president of the United States, the young leader, the rash leader? I don't think so. I don't. So chat room, you keep count of every sort of it, sort of impairment on his character as a leader. Tonight, CNN has learned America's intelligence and military leaders are watching Kim Jong-un with growing unease, fearing the young North Korean leader with questionable stability and a penchant for violence may have now perfected building a nuclear weapon and may be preparing to test it. CNN has learned Kim's regime could be preparing to launch a mobile ballistic missile, something it has never done. One long-range missile, which officials... Bel- yeah, okay, so Charum and I were, were on the same. I say three. There's three so far. Okay, we continue on. ...believe the North Koreans could fire, could hit American territory on Guam or the Aleutian Islands. Ooh. But there's another, more frightening possibility. The scary scenario is that North Korea may launch its KN-14 ICBM. We've just learned that they've tested the ICBM engine. It may have new fuels that give it far greater energy. It may have new fuels. So this poor tiny country that is cut off from the rest of the world has developed new fuels that the West would be unaware of that may have given them the ability to launch this new possible weapon. That they've tested the ICBM engine. It may have new fuels that give it far greater energy and range. Maybe it uses dilithium to focus the matter-antimatter stream into the reaction chamber, thus harnessing the explosion as the matter and antimatter combine, much like a combustion un- engine harnesses the explosion when you light fuel in the combustion engine. It may have new fuels that give it far greater energy and range. And with that range, the KN-14 can possibly reach Washington, D.C. 
right over Seattle. The North Koreans would first have to flight test that missile, which they likely haven't done yet. But the concern tonight is that the regime is accelerating its nuclear weapons and missile capability under a leader who's becoming more warlike each week. A U.S. intelligence official telling CNN Kim is challenging his international rivals with provocative and threatening behavior. Could he be ratcheting up his weapons program because he's under threat from inside? Kim Jong-un has to be under enormous internal pressure from political elites and military elites. So this guy, the way you know he's an expert is because he's sitting in front of an iMac with a picture of Kim Jong sitting in front of missiles using the built-in macOS preview program. And no, ladies and gentlemen, he couldn't even been bothered to hit full screen. It's just kind of maximized. Actually, hold on. I take that back. <laughs> I take that back. He's sitting in front of an iMac with Safari maximized. They literally did a Google image search. I am looking at the high-resolution 1080p, and on one tab, it's Google Images, and in the other tab, it's a picture of Kim Jong sitting in front of missiles. And so this man, Patrick Corrin, from the Center for a New American Security, is CNN's expert. CNN. Do you understand that if I were to source someone as an expert on this, I would go to a more reliable source. I am a podcaster in Arlington, Washington, and I would seek out a better source. Do you understand that? The Center for a New American Security, are you kidding me? And they have a Google image tab open with a picture of Kim Jong photoshopped in front of some missiles. It's not even a good Photoshop. His head is larger than the largest missile. And this is their expert. This is who they go to. Threatening behavior. Could he be ratcheting up his weapons program because he's under threat from inside? Kim Jong-un has to be under enormous internal <sighs> pressure from political elites and military elites. He has to demonstrate. He has to. This man knows what he has to do. What one of the most secretive regimes, the most disconnected regimes in history, in modern history, obviously. And this guy sitting in front of an iMac with a Safari window maximized with a new image Google image tab that he lazily image searched before his interview that he probably had booked in at 1030. This guy has the nuts to sit here and tell you this. And then CNN has the agenda, I suppose, to play it for you. Elites and military elites, he has to demonstrate that he is a credible, strong, unifying leader. He's trying to do this by having unprecedented weapons. He's killing people. He's eliminating opponents. Okay. Uh, can, you cite, can you cite any? I'm not saying he's not. How about some actual sources for any of this? Because if you're citing CNN's previous coverage, those have been debunked. And that incurs a price. A top senator on the Intelligence Committee, asked by Wolf if Kim is rational, said unequivocally no. The kinds of things that he's doing, it, it, you, you'd, uh, you'd wonder whether they have a death wish. Most analysts won't go as far as saying Kim is crazy, but they worry that in his zeal to fight off his enemies and project his power, he'll miscalculate. He is potentially reckless. Potentially reckless. You could say that about President Obama. He is divorced from reality. You could say that about George Bush. Both of those attributes could contribute to war. You could say that about any American president in recent history. So 
We don't have to make a judgment psychologically as to whether he's crazy or sane. He's dangerous. And tonight, there is real concern among U.S. officials and analysts that another provocative move by Kim is imminent. Less than 48 hours away, the birthday of Kim's grandfather, Kim Il-sung. Now, this is this is some real brilliance, right? Because CNN knows dick about anything going on down there. No one does. And anybody who goes down there, like Dennis Rodman, gets the special sort of theater treatment. And so what CNN's about to do is absolute 100 percent character defamation. And it's character defamation at a level that no other world leader would ever witness. Only CNN and only th- only Kim Jong would get this level of character defamation, which is about to happen on the America's national news network, the supposed neutral net news network between Fox and MSNBC. This is some unmitigated propaganda. The founder of North Korea, who the young Kim is said to be obsessed with emulating. Analysts believe many of Kim's bold moves recently were designed to show North Koreans that he is of equal or greater stature than his grandfather. His grandfather? Hmm. His grandfather. Okay. Well, you know what? I respect my grandfather. Interesting statement. What's the obvious next question, though, to really stir the pot? Wolf? Interesting. Uh, Brian, why is he so obsessed with his grandfather and not his father? Could... Okay. Okay. Have... have did you have... Uh, can you believe how scripted this is? Have you seen uh, – uh, uh, are you seeing how scripted this is? This is unbelievably scripted. Analysts believe many of Kim's bold moves recently were designed to show North Koreans that he is of equal or greater stature than his grandfather. Wolf? Interesting. Uh, Brian, why is he so obsessed with his grandfather and not his father? It's a very good question, Wolf. I've asked this about analysts in recent weeks. You know, because we all just sit around and we're just talking like, God, he just likes grandpa so much. How come he doesn't like daddy? Experts tell us. Experts tell us. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. His father, Kim Jong-il, the man in the middle here. Well, he's associated with failure. The North Korean (laughs) famine, the loss of Russia's huge support of North Korea, the collapse of the nuclear deal with the U.S., they all happened under his father, Kim Jong-il. A failure in so many eyes in North Korea. But the grandfather, Wolf, he is known for establishing North Korea, for attacking his enemies in South Korea, and for a time when North Koreans were actually better off economically than... You know, uh, that's a really good point. Arch Linux Russian points out before they even got into that point in the conversation, they already had the pictures lined up of the... That's a great... Jeez, great observation. Jeez, look at right. known for establishing North Korea, for attacking uh-huh. his enemies in yeah. South Korea, uh-huh. and for a time when North Koreans were actually better off economically than South Koreans decades ago, a time when North Koreans were not starving. Now, is that not some deli- did I did I tell you it was some delicious propaganda or what? Come on. Come on. That was great, right? <laughs> okay. Now, I got to bring it down though. Now, we got reality sneaking just about to just going to sneak in a little bit, okay? Now, I'm not trying to bring you down, but uh, this is President Obama's legacy right here. Afghan officials say at least 17 civilians were killed by U.S. drone strikes in Afghanistan Wednesday. The first strike reportedly hit the truck of a local elder who was on his way to resolve a land dispute, killing the elder and 11 others. A local elder of the community. Think about that. If there was any chance to keep anyone out of terrorism, wouldn't it be strong local communities? (laughs) So he's on his way to resolve a land dispute. And one of our drones kills him. And 11 others. The second drone reportedly struck and killed two people who were collecting their bodies. 
So then community members come back because this elder and 11 others who are presumably probably rather well-respected members of the community are killed. Now that's pretty bad. I'm going to play the rest of the I'm going to play the rest of the clip uninterrupted because it's pretty bad because it doesn't just stop there. Afghan officials say at least 17 civilians were killed by U.S. drone strikes in Afghanistan Wednesday. The first strike reportedly hit the truck of a local elder who was on his way to resolve a land dispute, killing the elder and 11 others. The second drone reportedly struck and killed two people who were collecting their bodies. A third drone strike reportedly killed three more who'd come to see what had happened. The Pentagon's confirmed two of the three drone strikes, but says there were no civilian casualties. Yeah, that doesn't get a lot of coverage on uh, mainstream news, does it? And I guess, why would you want to cover that? Especially if you're Fox News, when you're pretty much led around by the D from the military. And that's that's a, a reason why outlets like Democracy Now!, which is where that clip is from. The No Agenda show, where I first heard that clip, and our show, are important outlets. Because the mainstream media has no reason and no incentive to play that for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's got that Nobel Peace Prize, though. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about, uh, let's move along. Let's, uh, let's pick it back up. We're going to pick it back up. We're going to continue on. Don't worry. I got clips to make you feel better coming up in a little bit. But first, let's talk about ISIS and their money, because it all really comes down to that, doesn't it? Show me the money! Today, we're starting a new week-long series, The Branches of ISIS. We're taking a closer look at the terrorist organization, breaking down the key elements that make up the Islamic State. And for our first installment, we're following the money, which is always critically important. ISIS funding coming in many forms, oil revenue, ransoms, and even donations. It has its own treasury, its own currency, and it reportedly rakes up to $4 million per day. So the big question is, how do we cut off the money flow? Joining us is the Major General Matthew C. Horner, Distinguished Chair of Military Theory at Marine Corps University, Dr. Sebastian Gorka. He is author of Defeating Jihad, The Winnable War, a great book that is on sale today. So great timing for you joining us today and this entire week. Uh, Dr. Gorka, let's jump right into to ISIS. Uh, what's their most effective funding stream? Uh, probably the sale of oil on the black market in the region. They've taken over numerous oil wells in Iraq, and they're basically selling it under the market price to anybody in the region who wants oil. So who's buying ISIS oil, and how are we not cutting it off? Everybody, everybody in the region who wants it, and we're not cutting it off because we've deployed our air assets into region. But whether this is hard to believe, we're dropping leaflets on the oil convoys that ISIS is running, yes. saying we're going to come back and bomb you in an hour, so get out of the truck. <laughs> hey that's not a way to run a war. That's the problem. It sure isn't. And so, so they're extracting and selling it in the region. What pressure are we putting on governments in the region to not accept that? Come on, guys! I want to kill more people. Come on! Come on! You know, there is a story, actually. I got. I feel like I got to make you feel better. I feel like I. I feel like I need to make it up to you. I 
feel bad. I honestly feel I feel like I've like I've made you feel kind of down. So I want to make it up to you. I got two things I want to do. Two things. So number one, first thing I want to do is I want to shake it off with a little dance. So I want you guys to feel a little better. So okay, you ready? Are you okay? Are you ready? If there's a need for a rescue mission, when the world is threatened, when the world needs help. That's right. It calls on America. Okay, now seriously, one of the coolest stories of the week. Sorry. Oh, oh, hold on. Sorry. Now that SpaceX's cargo ship just <laughs> arrived at the International Space Station. Now, that's not the cool part. That's not the cool part. More than a decade after NASA first announced plans for private companies to supply the ISS after the shuttle's retirement. Phil Keating is following the story for us. He is live in our Miami bureau with more. Hi, Phil. Hi there. Hi, Heather. What a weekend for SpaceX, uh-huh. the private commercial space company based out in California. Tremendous, historic, and this weekend, uh, this week, actually, a uh-huh. busy, busy week up 250 miles up above us. But first, take a look at the video from Friday evening. This is the talk of the scientific and space community. Now, this is SpaceX's the story. SpaceX's first stage of its rocket falling all the way back to Earth and then blasting its engines again to stick the landing on its floating barge out in the Atlantic. Could this guy be any more of an idiot? It took them... 52 seconds to say that the SpaceX project successfully landed on a drone barge. That's all you got to say, you moron. Jeez. God. That guy, right? <laughs> I think I'm a, Am I in a grumpy mood today or is that guy just a dork? I don't understand what's going on there. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Oh, 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 oh. All right. So can we get into some shenanigans? Would you indulge me? With a little 2016 shenanigans. I love the chat room today. The chat room is super funny today. It has, uh, I have, uh, you know, I've got Google on my uh, internet phone from Apple. I got the Google app. And the Google, you know, the Google app will, like, uh, say, it'll recommend news. Well, because I do so many searches for Unfilter. Uh, in fact, oh, I should pull it up right now. Okay, hold on. I'm going to pull it up right now. Because I do so many web searches uh, for this show uh, that are political, apparently Google really wants me to know about politics like all the time. And so even though this is an interesting one, I I literally have never visited or searched for the Bernie Sanders website. (laughs) I don't need to. I watch all his – I watch him say everything. I don't need to visit his website. Uh, But I've never – but now Google Now has been showing me uh, Sanders press releases in my Google Now feed. And uh, he is going after uh, Clinton these days. Well, Bernie Sanders changing up his strategy against Hillary Clinton after saying that she was unqualified to be president. Now he's backtracking on that and questioning her judgment. Listen. She has enormous experience. Everybody who knows her knows that she is very intelligent. But I think her judgment, you know, for example, on foreign policy, let's be clear. The war in Iraq was the worst foreign policy blunder in the modern history of America. I heard the same evidence that Secretary Clinton did. She was in the Senate. I was in the House. I helped lead the opposition to that war. 
She supported uh -oh, that Oh, that's a good one. I think that is something that the American people might want to take into consideration. Hey, oh, you know what? He's got a great point there. That's a great fight. Keep pushing it, Bernie. Why wouldn't you? You know, it's so funny. He's finally even barely, barely fighting. He's finally barely fighting. And this is now they're giving him crap for it. Homeboy should have been fighting harder, longer a while ago. He's been way too gentle. I have played clips that he should have played on this show about Hillary Clinton. I have played them for you. It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating because, for example, he could play one single clip. So, I mean, that is the land of unconfirmed. Yes, we came. We saw. <laughs> he died. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you just put that in a commercial, Bernie Sanders? Why don't you put that in a commercial? Yes, we came. We saw. He died. <laughs> Did it have anything to do with your visit? Do you think? Do you think they killed a leader of the country because you visited? No, I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. I'm sure they killed the leader of a country because I'm here visiting. He's not even fighting. This next one's kind of funny, too. Bill Clinton today was asked about the comments and said, of course you wouldn't have made the same charges if she were a man. Oh and he said, I think there are some different standards for women. Some of them are subconscious. You know, I, uh, I really do feel for Bernie. Um, he is getting some serious, stupid shit from the Clintons right now. That has got to be one of the dumbest things. And Jake Tapper, you know, you can tell he's one of these kind of guys that knows that's an extremely stupid question. It is really remarkable uh, that just because – and you know what? I had, I had a thought for you guys. <laughs> so, yeah, that is – Bernie Sanders is wearing, is wearing a massive coat. <laughs> chat room is, too, is is the worst case scenario for my ADD. I look over at the chat room and <laughs> they're making fun of his coat. Um, but it is huge. Uh, so here's what something that struck me recently, chat room. Hillary Clinton literally has one of the most president, one of the most pop, one of the, geez, one of the most popular presidents in recent history going out and campaigning for her, Bill Clinton. Right? Bill Clinton is so famous that Monica Lewinsky is famous for having oral sex with him, right? That's how famous he is. That woman is famous for the rest of her life because she screwed around with Bill Clinton. That's how he's super famous. He's one of the most famous presidents in modern history. And he is going around campaigning. For this presidential candidate, this is unprecedented. Huh. <laughs> no pun intended. And yet, Sanders is still winning the people's vote on the Democratic side. Do you get what a big statement that is? And now they're slinging this kind of crap. A former president of the United States is campaigning for one of the candidates. One of the most popular presidents in modern history. And Sanders is still winning the people. And he said, I think there are some different standards for women. Some of them are subconscious. Well, I, I appreciate Bill Clinton being my psychoanalyst. It's, it's always nice. Uh, but the reality is that ever since Wisconsin, 
when that became the sixth out of seven states that we have won in either caucuses or primaries. I think the Clinton campaign has made it public. Basically, they've told the media uh, that here in New York, they're about to become very negative, uh, about to beat us up. And I just want them to understand that, you know, we have tried to run an issue-oriented campaign, but that we are not going to be attacked every single day. Our record is not going to be distorted. We are going to fight back. And what I said is that a a candidate uh, like Secretary Clinton, who voted for the disastrous war in Iraq, who has supported virtually every disastrous trade agreement, which has cost us millions of decent-paying jobs, and who receives incredible amounts of money. We're talking about tens of millions of dollars through a super PAC from every special interest that you can think of and from the billionaire class, you know? Uh, I have my doubts about what kind of precedent uh, she would make. Wow. But you would support her if need be. Well, they always ask. In terms of experience, there's no question that she has the experience. Uh, but I think she and I would agree, and I, I hope that that is her view, uh, that we will do everything possible uh, to prevent this country from seeing a Donald Trump or some other Republican in, in the White House. That would be a disaster for this country, and I will do everything I can to prevent that. letting the dog's emails off the hook. One dog versus another dog. Brett Baer's going to tell you how the Clinton email servers were set up. Take a deeper look now at how the Clinton email system was set up and how the president factors in. Chief Intelligence Correspondent Catherine Harris is with us tonight. Good evening, Catherine. Well, thank you, Brett. Former senior intelligence officials say classification is pretty clear cut. The intelligence agency that gets the information owns the information and has final say on classification. The responsibility of the security clearance holder, whether it's a rank-and-file government employee or a cabinet secretary, is to protect classified information even if it appears in news reports. Classified information, the level of classification of of information is not fungible. It's determined by the originating organization. It is negotiable, uh, you know, during the the process, but it's not fungible. It, It is, in fact, concrete. In January, the intelligence community watchdog notified Congress that the Clinton emails contained intelligence beyond top secret, including information from closely held government programs known as special access programs. The CIA provided sworn declarations to that effect. Nineteen emails between Mr. Obama and then Secretary of State Clinton are being withheld from public release citing executive branch discussions. Legal experts now question whether Mr. Obama may have a personal conflict. If there's the possibility, and it looks like there's evidence that he was in some sense involved in what happened, was aware of what happened, could potentially be a witness to what happened, he shouldn't be making public statements prejudging the outcome of something that he could have personal involvement in. Today, the White House spokesman acknowledged that Mr. Obama was exchanging emails with then-Secretary Clinton, but didn't realize at the time she was using a private, unsecured personal server exclusively for government business. While the president was certainly aware of her email address, Mm -hmm. uh, he was not aware of the system that had been put in place to support it. 
Ernest also emphasized today that the president does a lot, does not do a lot of business on email because his work can be described as either classified or at least sensitive. And when Mr. Obama does do email, unlike Mrs. Clinton, he uses a government account, Brett. Captain, thank you. You're welcome. Mm, okay. All right. So, I guess from there we could go to this. Well, the feud between the Clintons and the Obamas was so tense that First Lady Michelle Obama wanted Joe Biden to run for president. That's one of the many secrets that's revealed in this brand new book called First Women, The Grace and Power of America's Modern First hmm. Ladies. There's the book cover. The book's author, Kate Anderson Brower, joins us now. Hey, Kate. Hi. How Congratulations are you? on this book. Beautiful cover. Thank you. Congratulations. Let's talk about that feud between the Clintons and the Obamas. Well, you know, I covered the White House as a Bloomberg reporter, and so I talked to my sources who are were in the White House. Um, you know what? Well, yeah, okay, okay, all, all right. Uh, with the Obamas, and they said that, you know, Michelle Obama kind of looks down her nose at Hillary Clinton. Uh, the Obamas view the Clintons as this political dynasty that came before them and that they could have gotten a lot more done in the White House if it hadn't been for some of the president's personal behavior uh, in the White House. And, uh, in fact, I what? interviewed uh, some people around Laura Bush, and they said that they were surprised when her, Laura Bush's East Wing aides came in uh, with Michelle Obama's East Wing aides they were surprised that Michelle didn't adopt this program that Hillary Clinton had been so proud of as first lady. And they thought, surely, since Hillary is going to be in Obama's cabinet, that Michelle would have adopted this program about historic preservation. And she didn't feel any obligation to continue that program. There is a rift there. 2008 was obviously very tense. And some of the things that Hillary Clinton said have stayed with Michelle over the years. She's, <laughs> Michelle is not a politician. And she doesn't like sort of Washington, you know, the game of politics. You <laughs> I bet. I bet. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry. <clears throat> All right. A little bit of real news, and then we're going to get back to something that uh, put a smile on your face. U.S. Capitol Police say they've arrested more than 400 protesters for unlawfully demonstrating at the U.S. Capitol on Monday afternoon. The demonstrators from the group Democracy Spring said they were demanding Congress and corruption of big money in politics. They were also speaking out against restrictive voter identification laws and called for free and fair elections. Police arrested those who were sitting on the stairs at the east front of the Capitol building. There you go. I wanted to cover it because I know you guys have heard about it floating around out there. At least I assume you have. Uh, okay, so I got one clip. Mr. Chase is arriving right now as we start, so we got to play this one. Now, a question and answer session at a journalist forum in the Russian city of St. Petersburg saw President Putin stepping into the shoes of an interpreter. After a question from the audience over Russian national values, Vladimir Putin jumped in to translate the speech of a former German MP. Herr Präsident, da bin ich aber gründlich missverstanden worden. I misunderstood, said our guest. Please continue, Putin says. I guess because he's translating, because Putin knows like a jillion languages. I have been wondering that the Russian leaders 
davon gesprochen haben, dass es keine nationalen Werte gibt. I was surprised that Russian representatives had said that there are no national ideas. Anyways, the whole point was to show off. It's just kind of boring, but the whole point was to show off Putin and his skills. Meanwhile, the Hill Dog showing off. Brand new polls out this morning showing Hillary Clinton pulling ahead in next week's New York primary. She's up 14 points on Senator Sanders. Meanwhile, a new scrutiny over a racially charged joke that Clinton told with New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio at a charity event. So what is all this about? Chief White House correspondent Ed Henry live in New York City. So good morning to you, Ed. What is this controversy about? Well, you know, this is the annual dinner called Inner Circle. It sort of pokes fun at the mayor, Bill de Blasio, there with journalists, other politicians, sort of maybe the New York press corps version of the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Hillary Clinton on Saturday night made a surprise appearance, and as you say, there was a little skit there that had racial overtones. Watch. Thanks for the endorsement, Bill. <laughs> Took you long enough. Sorry, Hillary. I was running on CP time. Have you heard of the term CP time before? I, I, I have not. But I, I had. I've heard this. Yeah. But, yeah. That's not. I don't. I don't like jokes like that, Bill. That's not. Cautious politician time. <laughs> Cautious politician time. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, there you uh, go. There you go. Yeah. I. I don't know, Chase. I. To me, I. I just didn't. I'm not super sensitive to any of that kind of you stuff. You didn't get it, Chris? You oh, I didn't. got it. I got it. I just not, I'm not super sensitive. I'm not super sensitive. I kind of have some good news. A little good news I saved for you. You ready? You, you say something for yeah, me? Yeah, I think this is good oh, news. Wall Street Bank Goldman Sachs will pay $5 billion to, to settle to claims that it oh. duped clients with rotten mortgage investments rotten. that Goldman knew were likely to fail. So I, that's kind of nice, right? That's some good news. Yeah, who's getting that $5 billion, though? Well, this was part of the widespread mortgage fraud that triggered the Great Recession in 2008. Did not. Huh. Goldman is the last hmm. of the big banks to settle with the government. And Dean Reynolds has more on this. Dean Reynolds. News of the $5 billion settlement thrust Goldman Sachs into the glare of the public spotlight and the crosshairs of the presidential campaign. Uh-oh. They are a fraudulent organization. The Wall Street firms engaged in greed, massive greed. In February, Morgan Stanley settled for $3.2 billion. Wells Fargo agreed to pay $1.2 billion. J.P. Morgan Chase paid $13 billion three years ago. No affiliation and with Chase. Bank of America <laughs> coughed up a whopping $16.6 billion in 2014. Goldman admitted that in bundling mortgages from subprime loan specialists like Countrywide Financial and then selling them to investors as bonds, it largely failed to address financial problems it knew about. In one period during August 2006, Goldman found what it called an unusually high percentage of loans with credit and compliance defects. When one transaction manager was asked by Goldman officials, how do we know that we caught everything? He answered, we don't. Another responded, depends on what you mean by everything. And when an outside analyst wrote a positive review of Countrywide, the head of due diligence at Goldman wrote in an email, if they only knew. This was a civil case, so no one is going to jail, and that's likely to add to the anger, according to Robert Weissman of Public Citizen, an advocacy group. You know, a human being on the planet when this went down. (laughs) Millions of people were thrown out of jobs. 
Millions of people lost their homes. Millions of people still don't have their jobs. Millions, Millions of people are underwater. Yeah. Communities were destroyed, all because of their wrongdoing, yet they are escaping any criminal accountability, it seems. While a $5 billion civil penalty is a lot of money, Scott, approximately half of it appears to be tax deductible, which means <laughs> Goldman Sachs will be getting a tax break that could shave close to a billion dollars off the money yeah, buddy. it has just agreed to pay. Dean Reynolds reporting wow. tonight. Dean, thank you. Yep, 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 yep. So wow. there you go. There you go. But at least That's they're paying a, little, for you. paying a little something something, Yeah, at least, they're, they're, at least they're taking care of it. Finally. <gasps> How you doing, buddy? Are you ready to start the show? You know, last weekend I was down in Portland. I know. I saw pictures of you coming back. And yeah. Uh, by the way, I highly recommend going down there by train. If you, if you are not in a rush and you don't yeah, need train's to drive, the way to go. train's the way to go. Yeah. I checked out New Vamsterdam. What is it? It's a, it? it's a recreational shop in Vancouver. Oh, yeah? Yeah? The most prettiest I've ever seen. So... I think it's the largest in the state, or one of the largest. Oh, really? Yeah, and their checkout system, they're using tech. You would be so impressed with this place. So you so first, uh, you know, you, they check your ID when you walk in, and it's beautiful wood grain, and they have a beautiful mural. They have video... They have probably, like, maybe... I want to say maybe 15... Uh, high definition screens all over the place that all have thin uh, Dell clients attached to them that show the current menu, the current specials, and it's constantly rotating and updating. This sounds like a place that's up by where I'm at. And uh, only this place that I go to, it's it, because it's up north. Yeah. Like the door is just open. There's no ID check at the door. You just you just pull it, park, and walk up. They have the door open. It's pretty cool. So so the way they do it is they have these you, – you can if you don't want to talk to anybody, you don't have to. They have these self-service kiosks where you just type what you're looking for, and then you go and pay a cashier. Once you're paid, then you go to a different person, and then you get your product. Hmm. Huh. It was, but it was so beautiful and elegant, and it was I have, very nice. I've been, I, I plan to take the guys out when they come in for town to show them. There's so here in Smoky Point, there's one. Yeah, that one's really small. <laughs> and you got to like when you you walk into like a dedicated room and you show them your ID, right? But then when you get up further north, like like some of the shops, like we need to go to that place in Bellevue, but like the really high end, like boutique kind of a place. That'd be fun. I mean, Thrifty Spins, right, though, it is a gateway drug. Mary Joanna. Joe, Joe, yeah, Joanna? Yeah, yeah. Jo- Jonah? Yeah. Mary Joanna. Yeah, because painkillers aren't. Uh, all right. Well, <laughs> so there you go. That wraps up the overtime. It's time oh, for us. And uh, my last week, uh, my last day at Como's on Friday. Oh, that's soon. Yeah. Soon. Uh, yeah. And we should, as we, as we wrap up the overtime, we should mention, uh, check the calendar, because the Unfiltered Show may be spotty. It's that time of month. That's Linux Fest. Oh, spotty. I see what you...